0: Hmm. Recorded live. Welcome back, my friends, to the show. It seems it never ends, but we haven't ended, but we have turned the page. Jim, it seems like 2017 was just a newborn baby just yesterday, and now it's all grown up and gone to OTAs. Yeah. (laughs) The good news is that we still have just beginning to to crawl, not even walking yet, uh, a toddler is in our midst. 2018 still has a little gleam in its eye. And with that gleam and trying to move on wobbly unsteady legs, we have a lot of early speculation about if Donald's better than Rosen, if Austin Allen is better than all of the others, if uh, someone I'm forgetting is better than all the all the others. If uh Geis is R B one or if Chubb is RB one or if none of them are RB one or some guy we've never heard of yet is RB one. If Lamar Jackson is a future wide receiver, if uh if uh Landry, right, um is a future top ten pick. Uh let's see, what other things have he bandied about? Uh, is James Washington just a system-wide receiver, or is he a WR-1? Oh, is some dude who had, like, four catches last year going to be WR-1 or something like that? Uh, Should we watch out for some dude that averaged an astonishing 19.1 yards per catch but had, like, seven catches or whatever? I mean, all that good stuff. It's all beginning. It's all beginning. Now, I know you've explained – sometimes at length and sometimes, you know, more quixotically, the importance of knowing what a player has done in ter- to figure out what they're more le- most likely to do. Now, obviously, guys improve. Yeah. Not all guys, though. There's an assumption of improvement, an assumption of development. Right. But it doesn't always happen. Some
1: guys get better. No. Some
2: guys
0: get the same. Some guys actually
1: get worse. Exactly. And as, as I try to tell people, you know, like I was looking at the defensive end class recently, and I've heard all this stuff like, oh, this class is going to be just as deep as this year, and all this other kind of stuff. But what what people don't realize is that Joey Bosa going into his junior year, you know, his last season, hit all the thresholds he needed to hit yes. in term- from a production standpoint for Pro Bowl All-Pro sort of stuff. Miles Garrett, coming into his junior season hit every all single the, threshold he needed the, to hit yeah. in terms of production thresholds. Like, But the guys that we're saying are going to be the dudes this year haven't exactly done that and don't exactly look anything like the Miles Garrett or Joey Bosa. <laughs> and it's not to say that I don't like Harold Landry or Bradley Chubb. It's just –
0: I particularly like Chubb, but I don't think he's I like quite Chubb. the prospect that either Bosa nor, right. nor Garrett was.
1: It's the sort of thing where people people project stuff based on, like I was, you know, looking at Deron Payne, you know, because Deron Payne is now like a top ten pick or whatever. Uh, but every single production threshold he's hit so far has been 10 percentile or 14 percentile. Like, it's just not good.
2: So, so, so should I be
1: thinking more late third, early
0: fourth then perhaps?
1: I don't know. I really don't know because, again, we, we, again, I think – I think what's funny about this time of year, the reason why people don't like early 2018 coverage is that a lot of times when people are doing this, they're projecting based on things that haven't happened yet because they feel like they have a license to do that, you know, a license to project at this point. It doesn't matter. It's like anything else. If you treat your rankings as, well, this time of year they don't matter, then get your rankings will not matter, you know. And unfortunately, that's what we have a lot, where I have people asking me things about players, and they're like, well, wh- what do you mean Mike McGlinkey isn't on your top five offensive tackle list? And I'm like, dude, why, why, why?" okay, and I just kind of, give me a reason why to put him on the list. Like, I can't put him on the list for his speed score. I can't put him on the list for his size score. So what am I supposed to do here? You know, like, I understand that people are saying Mike McGlinkey is good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's good. That just means that that's what people are I saying. Love, I time. love how you
0: changed the pronunciation of his name to make him sound even less
1: athletic. I just... <laughs> I mean, he's just not... On film, there are issues with it. I don't know. I, I, this, this time amazes me because, again, you have a combination of trying to project players. It's like Parrish Campbell, right? He's a wide receiver at Ohio State. Yep. He only had 160 yards last year. He's done nothing, Jim. Almost literally nothing. He's
0: outproduced me in his collegiate
1: career by 160 yards. Exactly. So because of that, he's going to have a breakout season this year because, you know, like Ohio State doesn't have. About the spring. Right. Or I've even had other people going, well, Alabama, I don't know. You get a whole thing like, oh, you don't like Alabama players. They win championships as if winning championships really matters in terms of, like, so what if a guy wins a championship? There are many people that have won, been on championship teams and have done absolutely nothing at the NFL level.
2: Well,
1: but I mean, people like to take shots at the USC quarterbacks.
0: You're too young to remember this, but so I'm going to throw out some names for you. Um, let's see. A little something I like to call Gino Toretta. Or if you didn't like that, gosh, how about Kenny Dorsey? Or a little something I like to call Steve Walsh. I mean, the, with the exception of Jim Kelly, who obviously is a Hall of Famer, the standard-bearer for all that dynasty period in terms of the quarterbacks after that is, what, uh, Testaverde? These were guys who played on championship-level teams. Notre Dame, you know, obviously used to produce some really great quarterbacks. But more recently, and, of course, they haven't been winning championships that recently either, but, but they had championship teams with quarterbacks that were, eh, I mean, Tony Rice? You know, he was fun to watch. Yeah. people. Alabama's quarterbacks, how have they worked out at the NFL level so far, Jim. I mean, not that you'd ever do the whole, but, you know, wide receivers from this school, cornerbacks from I mean, this. That's all silly, foolishness anyway. But here's what drives me absolutely nuts. So if you decide that you're going to look at this small little sample of Power 5 schools, you know, especially SEC, all the navel-gazing at SEC, right, because the SEC, the NFL, blah, blah, blah. And it is a great conference. There's no getting around that. It's a conference with a high level of talent, a lot of you know, five stars and you know so-and-so's top 300 high school athletes end up in the SEC. But as you have pointed out, even some of these supposed four- and five-star dudes didn't produce at the no. high school level at a level that mm, – has good things to say about what's likely to happen with them at the collegiate
1: level. Exactly. I mean, well, I mean, now I'm just starting to get in the skill position data at the high school level, but you know, the, the same I've done quarterbacks, quarterbacks was pretty self-explanatory, you know? Um, you know, well, people didn't like it, but like, it just doesn't, I mean, again, the whole four star, five star thing, three star thing, whatever you want to call it. um, it's again. It's, it's usually just based on what the physical characteristics are. You know, if you're a running back who has, who's you know 5'11, 220 pounds as a high schooler, then people are gonna make you a five star. You know, versus a guy that hasn't really developed into anything yet. But I just think that when it just comes to when it comes to just this time period, like right now where we are, I just always find it funny that people want to insult people. Over stuff when again what what are you basing it on? Because you know, right now a lot of times we just base it on if you're lucky groupthink. Right. Reputation groupthink or just flashes on film. You know. The reputation groupthink stuff starts is in this
0: game that I just happened to be watching last year, this guy made two really great plays. Right. Exactly. And I remembered those plays, and now I've made gifts of
1: them <laughs> yeah, gifts you know, that, that's that's what that's what the Alabama defensive players are becoming a uh, series of gifts um I mean that's one thing I can't say is you know that, that they show really good gifts of hand usage. they don't really do it all the time though, but when they do, oof, amazing gifts, you know, but I mean, I don't know, I mean guys guys like Jerome Payne you know, these other sort of defensive tackles, I mean, they're okay. But I just think that there's there's other things out there, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's with wide receivers. It's with tight ends. It's with – and and on top of the sort of bias towards power five schools, when there's also non-power five players that are good or just as good or better even, but they're non-power five, so people have never seen them they, – they, they've never seen them play, which is probably the biggest factor that they just haven't seen them play, so, you know, there you go. Like, it's surprising that Cortland Sutton is actually getting some exposure just because he played at SMU, you know, at this point, which I know he has physical characteristics. It's just, you know, it usually guys who play at SMU don't get any attention or notoriety or anything like that. Anymore. I remember trying to sell people on Emmanuel Sanders, man.
0: <laughs> I, in the, I remember that was probably one of my first sort of – in my very early draft Twitter days, my first campaigns, was to get people to watch Emmanuel Sanders, who I had as, like, my, R, my WR3 or something that year. I'd have to go back to my rankings and be sure, but I, I loved him. He was, I mean, he was the guy that you're seeing now, really, in a lot of ways. I mean, he was a very developed well, – people, once again, like take shots at certain systems. And, yes, he didn't run the, quote, unquote, whole rock tree at SMM, SMU. But every round he ran, he ran like a guy who looked like a future NFL wide receiver. He was good after the catch. Even though he wasn't the biggest cat in the world, he did a good job of fighting through contact. Uh, great hands, really good, really good body control. I'm trying to remember who I compared him to coming out. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I had a really good one at the time he was coming out. And he's in fact he exceeded even my expectations. I really, 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 really liked him. <laughs> really, obviously, yeah. I
2: still do.
0: I still think, oh yeah, he, to some extent, underestimate Emmanuel Sanders even
3: now.
1: Well, I mean, he just doesn't have a very good quarterback right now with you know with the Broncos, but, um, but it, it you still know produced. I mean, yeah, still produced. Which uh, that's the other thing I. <laughs> the other thing I was working on was just uh, wide receivers and quarterback. Because since I have all this quarterback data, it's pretty easy to just go through the data and look at who the quarterback was and what their performance was, you know, at, during that year, in terms of, uh, you know, efficiency and stuff like that. And, again, it doesn't matter how bad your quarterback is. Uh, you know, if you're a good wide receiver, you're going to produce, uh, no matter what. It's the same thing with, like, you know, like we're getting to this whole nose tackle sort of thing too where people say, oh, nose tackles don't have to be productive or two-gappers don't have to be productive when they ignore the fact that the great two-gappers, the really, really good two-gappers, were guys that produced on top of being two-gappers. So, um, you know, I don't know. Well, the great but,
0: players at any position produce at an elite level. We can just say that. That is a big fact.
1: We can say that, but people will disagree with you. <laughs> Because <laughs> they just want to disagree with you for whatever reason.
0: Well, they can have fun doing it, but let's go to the tape. You know what I mean? Let's go to the – let's look through the history of the game. And maybe it helps that I'm old and that I've watched football for a very long time. But I cannot think of a player who was truly great who didn't consistently produce. Those guys do not exist. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, Casey Hampton wasn't sexy, but he produced – in college, like I remember ha- having these debates because everyone was all excited about Sean Rogers. I remember that draft year very, very clearly. I think it was the '98 draft. i to go ahead and check to be sure, but I think it might have been '98 or '99. I think it was '98 though. But everyone was, you know, super excited about Sean Rogers because he was bigger and he was faster. But he wasn't better. He wasn't better. I mean, they're teammates, so you got a chance to see them side by side, play after play after play. And what I noticed was one guy. Though he was, you know, he would, as you said, flash. You know, he, if gift scouting had existed back in those days, the guy, they would have gifted a lot of Sean Ryder's gifts. Because he had a lot of sort of Don Tari Poe ish kind of, I don't know how I'm just testing it from, he might not have been quite, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't quite as athletic, but, but he was a huge athletic dude. But despite all of that, the guy who had a better sense of where to stick himself in terms of angles to take, better usage of angles, better usage of power, how to – because power is cool, but you got to still know how to use it. The guy who didn't run himself out of plays and make gaps for the other team to make plays, that was Casey Hampton. <laughs> that was – I kept watching Texas on tape, and people getting all excited about Sean Rogers, and I kept thinking to myself, maybe I'm missing something. Every time I watch Texas tape and I watch, you know, their defensive line, the guy I come away with more impressed with, who I have more positive comments for every single tape – it's Casey Hampton, but everyone keeps flobbering all over Sean Rogers. I think he went number 19. I can't remember exactly where he went, but I know he went pretty early. I think he was a top 20 pick, and Hampton went later. But you know, career the career bared out exactly the way I thought it would bear out that the more fundamentally sound, smarter player ended up having the better career, while the flashier, you know, Sean Rogers. I think he was what six years in the Nile league, something like that. I mean, yeah, he had you an okay career, maybe seven. We had an okay career while Casey Hampton was, I mean, maybe not borderline Hall of Fame, but really good.
3: He's certainly could be in the Hall of Very Good. So, Jim, at this very early juncture, when you don't really know anything, obviously because the year hasn't started yet,
0: the things that you use, the things that help you to shape how you are projecting forward the players that you think have the best chance to succeed. I'm assuming you're taking a look at the numbers, right, what they did last year. What are the other things you take into account to try to figure out when someone's saying, here's my top 50, 100, top whatever it is, what are the things that you use?
1: Well, basically it's, you know, it's mostly production data on top of what my – scouting reports were based on film last year because I did evaluate a lot of players last year, like James Washington, Ricky James, uh, you know, certain quarterbacks, etc. So, like, I already have that stuff already there. You know, I already have, like, scouting reports or film grades, or whatever you want to call it, already in the ether, I guess. So it's really just looking at, you know, what the production is, uh, looking at what the – initial reported 40-yard dashes are, because I just like to look at that stuff just to see how it deviates, you know, when they actually go to the combine pro days. And then uh, after that point, it's just going back and, you know, taking some additional notes and stuff like that and, and just going from there. Because the bottom line is, is you know, yes, once the season starts, uh, you're going to have guys who break out. You're going to have sleeper guys that become real finished things. But you also want to at least know who hit all the thresholds from the very beginning. That way they're already in your mind so you don't ignore them or you don't let them slip or you don't come up with really weird excuses like with Miles Garrett or Joey Bosa or even Clowney is that what I've noticed is that defensive ends that are have really productive sophomore seasons, you know, like the Clowney's or the Bosa's or the Garrett's, the next year it seems like college teams don't want them to be that productive. <laughs> you know, so they're going <coughs> to do a bunch of stuff to mess with them uh, and, uh, you know, and kind of make sure that they're not uh, extremely pretty, you know, I mean, we've seen Clowney's film in his last season. We've seen Bosa. We've seen what they've done to Miles Garrett, et cetera. Of course, he got injured, you know, halfway into the season. But uh, the bottom line is is that it's a good thing to know that they hit those thresholds initially. That way you're not this guy looking at their stats in their final year going, oh, he's not going to be good because look at his final season because we, we do this consistently and, based on the data, whether you're talking quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, whatever, I mean, stuff happens, you know, it's football. Uh, But the bottom line is, is that if they've proven in their sophomore year or even their freshman year that they have the sort of ability to take over a season, you know, whether that's their freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, whatever, then that's really all you need, you know. That's that's all you really need to know when it comes to the uh, production ability is that – yeah, they had a down last year, but look at what they did in the prior year, you know, and that that's that's what I'd like to do right now is just figure out the baselines for the initial things and things will change, of course, but again, when you get new facts you change your mind, you know, and until that happens, you just have to at least build a basis of this is what they are right now and it could be different at this point. Sam Hubbard might become a sack machine, you know. Paris Campbell might get a 1000 yards in a season, but until that happens, I ain't gonna put him as a top 100 player, you know? Right. Like there's a lot of players that people have ranked high as like top 10, top 20, top 30 players when they're really sleepers, you know? Sleepers are their own little thing. They're their own little area where you you play with them over there, you don't really make them finish things already, you know? Like if you were to have a draft right now and you took Deron Payne top 10 based on this production, that would be a very, very, I mean, it'd be a Robert Candice-esque move with a a less athletic Robert Candice too. So uh, just based on the initial stuff that came out, you know, which may be true, maybe not, but most of the time Alabama is actually fairly accurate with the stuff they report. It's like teams like them so much.
3: Right. Uh, Right.
1: But yeah, because they show you warts and all, you know, when it comes to their players. Yeah,
0: Where's what gets me? Okay, take Bo Scarborough, right? There are people who yeah. have him, maybe that was a first, but I see a lot of mid to early second rounds on Bo Scarborough, and a lot of people have guys like Jarveon Franklin and, and Damari Bogan and lots of other guys who have produced way, way more, but didn't do it at Alabama as mid-rounders or sometimes late or somebody who's an free agent type. And I understand everyone's excited about Bo Scarborough because he's, at Alabama and he's big but thus far that's really all we have to go on he's played
1: a little bit and he's looked
0: you know okay but
3: he's
1: really it's really you know really big biceps you know like if you, if you oh. were to have yes if you were to have a bicep contest and you just face <laughs> running back ability by how big you know big their guns are he definitely would win that competition you know
0: so he and Michael Pittman and a few others would be headed towards the, the you know, the uh, sun's up, guns up or whatever, sun's up, guns up. Right, out.
1: right, the, hall, the hall, hall of arms, you know, that that hall, you
0: know. <laughs> well, that's cool and everything, and I'm not mad at him. He clearly likes the weight room, and that's, like I said, that's, that's, that's very exciting. But to Reich Bo Scarborough above a bunch of running backs who have produced rings around him, rings, he might not even the he might not even be the primary running back at Alabama. That's the other that kills me.
1: No, because they have so many other running backs. They got Najee Harris. They they recruit. I mean, they recruit five stars every single year. So you know, it's it's crazy to assume that. I mean, it's already uphill battle basically because. You know, is he going to get a workload like Derrick Henry? Likely not, because there's so many running backs on that team right now that are equal or similar talent that it, it's just a mess, man. I mean, I like Bo Scarborough from the stuff he's done, the gifts, if you will. I mean, he, he's a big running back. But if you're just basing it on what he's done production-wise, hasn't really put it together. Like, you know, basically he hasn't done what Derrick Henry has done, you know, which was a crazy season. But until he does that, I don't understand why you would even have him as a top, you know, like a second rounder even. I know people say I'm crazy for saying that, but, I mean, why would I put a guy right now, based on the information that I – you know, based on the information that is available, why would I put a guy like that that high when everything is saying don't do it, you know, right now? You know, so, I mean, that's that's the big thing with Scarborough.
0: The thing that sticks out to me, and there's some positions, you know, are harder or easier or whatever to project, supposedly. I think with quarterback, you don't see anybody doing that as a quarterback. That's the funny thing. You don't see someone saying some quarterback who was a backup last year and got, you know, a handful of snaps in three games and saying, oh, this guy is going to be my QB1 or three or even my QB5. No one ever does that at quarterback. No one ever says, oh, I saw this guy play a little teeny tiny bit, you know, <laughs> and so I'm going to project him as, you know, right. one of my top five Q- QBs. You'll see it sometimes at running back. You'll see it occasionally at wide receiver. You don't see it so much at defensive end. Occasionally a little bit, though, I'm maybe a little too high because of a, you know, part time player who made some splashy, you know, sack plays. You don't see it at linebacker. You don't see people see some linebacker who came into a handful of plays, you know, and some, so this guy's my, my, you know, my LB1 or my LB5 or whatever. You don't see it there. You don't see it at corner or safety. A guy usually needs to play a decent amount. But there's certain positions, running back particularly, wide receiver, a little less so. But those are the two where I see it quite a bit. And a little bit sometimes in the pass rusher position. You'll sometimes see a guy, you know, who was a designated pass rusher or got into a handful of games and looked really good a couple of times. But why do you think, Jim, there's only a few positions where suddenly people – you know, the gift scouting community falls in love at certain positions, but you've never seen them do it with, you know, a backup quarterback who got to a handful of
1: snaps? Hmm. You know, that's a tough question. I mean, may- maybe just because quarterback and linebackers and stuff are viewed as complicated positions, I guess, maybe. Hmm. You know, like even, you know, like in the sort of way that wide receivers that do certain traits, they don't have to do all the traits, you just have to do a couple traits. You know, if you're a big wide receiver and you're able to box out cornerbacks and catch the ball against contest you know contested catches, people are gonna love you, you know, if you do that. Uh running backs, you know, hitting the edge of the defense or you know, breaking a bunch of tackles and doing stuff like that, you know, that one play, people extrapolate a lot of things. People have done videos and analysis on one play, Bill, you know, uh in terms of just what they think of this player and what he this one play demonstrates everything as to why he's the top running back in the class, stuff like that. Uh, but <laughs> football isn't just one play, you know. Like guys can guys can have their day. I will say I will say that much. There, there will always have a guy will always have his day. He will always have one game that you know he's most proud of where he did like amazing, you know. But I, as far as like running back and wide receivers, I just I don't know. I guess it's just because th- those positions people tend to. They don't really say they have a bias, but they do, you know, towards certain traits, and they just kind of a- extrapolate that bias, I guess, you know, fr- from those particular traits. Like the only reason why people don't have James Washington as n- a as number one wide receiver right now is because he isn't six foot five. You know, James Washington was six foot five and doing the things that James Washington's doing on film, people would immediately have him as a top ten pick. But because he's six foot, you know, and probably he's only going to run like four or five, people are just hesitant to to make' them, you know their their top wide receiver at least in their you know, in that sort of area but um you know because he does he does traits like you know using his hands to get off press and you know good footwork and you know stuff like that that people are just kinda eh on at the wide receiver position
3: yeah so that's the thing that um I've wanted to see. Play
0: out, you know. Is I mean, height is always a good thing, no, no matter what the position. But when you know the Hall of Fame opens up its doors, you know, and you look at if just you average out, you know, average height and weight and forty times of the guys in the Hall, do you find the occasional six five freak? I mean, obviously you you have the Calvin Johnsons of the world, but those guys are Freaks. I mean, hits the term freak, right? I mean, you know, guys like Randy Moss, who wasn't 6'5", who was 6'3 three and 3 quarters. But, I mean, guys, those guys are freaks. Some of them even, their nickname has the word freak in it, right? These are freaks. But most of the wide receivers in the Hall of Fame are 6'1 or so, right? Most of them did run 4'5". Uh, there's a lot that goes, I mean, Andre, right, I mean, I always go back to, to the guys that I – Loved, like my favorites of all time. The, I mean, Jerry Rice, to me, who didn't love Jerry Rice? But, and, of course, we all know the so various legends surrounding Jerry Rice. You know, people saying he ran 4.7. Dude, I'm telling you, Jerry Rice did not run 4.7. Um, we
1: watched. don't know. Only people that know is Jerry Rice. You right. Know. But I don't think he ran 4.7, ever. And under, under even the worst problems,
0: maybe he ran under maybe under bad conditions, He ran a low 4.6 somewhere for somebody
1: right, but what what I usually tell people with Jerry as I've even told you, you know, Bill, is that either the greatest wide receiver of all time was completely man made and it was just you know determination, heart, the stuff you can't measure that made him into the greatest wide receiver, or he actually does have some athletic talent that they just didn't have the technology back then, or at least they didn't they didn't record or they didn't know how to measure back then, you know. Like vertical broad jump. I was gonna say, like did
0: you ever find a vertical and or a broad jump on on? Uh, no. On
1: okay. I couldn't find a vertical broad jump. I don't even think the short shell freaking was even invented. I mean, there probably yeah. was some people doing that, but it wasn't like you won't find any reports of right. that sort of thing. Right. You know, back then. So. I bet you it was good. <laughs> I bet you that. Yeah. Was. I mean, <laughs> his son. His son's, you know, three cone was pretty good, which I can't, like, extrapolate that and go, his son had a good three cone, So that's how good his three go. But, you know, I want to, but I can't. But, yeah, I mean, it's all I'm saying is is Jerry Rice is, is the guy that, based on his production, at his level of competition even. Because I was thinking, back then, you know, you had guys like Andre Reed and, you know, all these other sort of like, small school wide receivers that, that were, you know, because back then, you know, opportunity, whatever you want to call it, you know, like it was a different period, different time, different time period, you know, when they, they didn't let, you know, certain people go to their school because they didn't have the right skin color, stuff like that. Well, the slack was, um, slack was still pretty good when Jerry yeah. Rice was the slack. <laughs> let me just,
0: let me yeah. I come back. he was, I mean, the MIAC had guys like Robert it at that time. I mean, it was a pretty, was, I watched a lot of, I mean, I grew up, you know, watching a lot of MIAC football. A lot of swag football and it was good football. Now, was it the SEC? Yeah, probably not. Was it the Big 10? Probably not. Even by that point, you know, it had taken a step back. Now, if you were to throw on that tape of the late 1960s and the Swack, woo! Woo, baby. Oh my gosh. I mean, you saw a Hall of Famer every time you put on late 1960s Swack tape in those days. There was a Hall of Famer somewhere on the field every time. The talent was ridiculous in those days. So the yeah. one you know, that's the thing I can say. It's like, oh, you know, look at that. Oh, he's really good. Yeah, he is really good. Just you wait. You, you know, you, you know, oh, well, that turns out to be Buck Buchanan. You know, oh well, you know, oh yeah, he was pretty good. You know, that turns out. to be, I mean, it was just crazy the amount of talent running around on those fields in those days. Uh, here's here's what I want to sort of drive forward, and you know, oh well, turns out Jackie Slater was pretty good. But moving towards sort of focusing on um, on this year, two thousand. 17, you know, year, 2018's draft. Already people are trying to figure out, you know, where the breadth and depth of the talent is. We talked about last year's historic tight end class. Uh, We talked about running back classes the last couple of years. We've talked about, you know, everybody whines about the quarterback class almost every year. Uh, We talked about the paucity of high level, especially the exterior offensive linemen last year. We a little bit of whining about the uh, traditional pursuit, run and chase, whatever you will call them, line, but the interior linebackers, the four-three linebackers, last year. While there was, you know, some guys that people liked the some of the pass rushers, some people whined about even them. From what you do and the things that you've been measuring and the things that you project based based off the things you project, where do you think the strength
1: of the 2018 class may may lie? Well, first off, is quarterback, and I mean, from the based on the data that I do, which of course I do the high school data and I do uh, the college data. Uh, you know, we have five quarterbacks who hit at least the Pro Bowl high school marks and the Pro Bowl college marks in terms of their college production um, going into this year that are draft eligible. That's really good. You know, Sam Darnold, which I know people talk about, is released or. I don't get it, Bill. I'm sorry. Like, I've seen a lot of Darnold Tim, and I do understand he doesn't have the, he gets, you know, it's it's not the cleanest throwing motion ever, but I've never seen it interfere with his ability to get the football out quickly and on, and on time, you know, so I don't know, but that that's, you know, and like, maybe I saw him throw off his back foot one time, you know, um, from the four games I saw, but I mean, he's one of those guys that just hit every single threshold and college production-wise scored a 97 out of 100, which is basically like Dan Marino, Dak Prescott level, you know, in terms of his college production. That's pretty so good. Like, it's pretty good. And then you got guys like Baker Mayfield who had who hit everything in high school and had similar production marks to Deshaun Watson, which is 94 out of 100, which is really good as well. He's going to be a little bit older, but he's not too old, you know. He does have that arrest, which people are gonna compare him to Johnny Manziel, because Johnny Manziel was also arrested, you know, prior to his earlier. <laughs> but I don't really think he's that Manzelli ish. I don't know. And I, I I he throws very catchable football. So you got that guy, you got Mason Rudolph, of course everybody's familiar with. You got Josh Rosen, who had a better freshman year than he had last year. Last year was bad, you know. Um And just getting into his film from last year, I don't even know if I want to throw it out or what, but it was ugly, you know. It was not good. year his offensive line didn't help. His wide receivers were
0: not easy to watch. That's swag. That's swag. So where do where, so on that metric? Where did you rank them based on that? If you're looking at the swagosity, did they
1: what, what? How far up the chart were they there? They were at like swag level three, which is trashing the locker room of the team that beat you. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's swag level three. You get beat and you trash in the locker room. Um, I you know I understand his offensive line was bad. I understand that his wide receivers are meh. That doesn't excuse throwing off his back foot. That doesn't excuse uh, throwing into triple coverage. It doesn't excuse you know just throwing like just his decision making and everything was just all over the place last year, and the sort of attitude of it all as well. And I know again I'm not trying to again, Josh Rosen has the attitude of, like, you know, a guy that just turned vegan and went to Thanksgiving and was telling everybody, don't you know what these animals, you know, um, basically having kind of a holier than thou personality in time, you know, like, I I understand how the world works kind of thing, you know, when you're, like, 20. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, I just... Yeah, some scouts don't like that, Jim. Some scouts don't like that, and he is talented, and, again, his freshman season hit at least the Pro Bowl threshold, but he hasn't done what Darnold did from a system school standpoint at the college level, which, again, is 97 or higher, which is really, really high. It's basically, you're talking Tom Brady level, you know, all those guys, amazing. You know, and Rosen hasn't exactly had a season like that yet, and he may not have it this year either if they don't get their stuff together in terms of wide receivers and stuff like that. So I'm not excusing the fact that his wide receivers are bad, but Sam Darnold had – one of the least athletic offensive tackles in Chad Wiener, who also was one of their best offensive linemen at one point, Bill. They had Zach – he had Zach Boehner. So, like, like, I'm just saying there's not a lot of excuses here. You know, USC's offensive line was terrible as well. And he ended up with a 97 overall year. While Rosen definitely had a bad offensive line too, but he ended up with a 68 overall year, you know, and got injured and was gone. So, um I don't know. I'm just I'm just speaking the facts on Rosen. I do like Rosen, I do think there's talent there, but I just don't buy into the whole he's the best quarterback or he's T V one yet just because he hasn't done anything to prove it yet. You know, once he if he proves it this year, okay. But um he's kinda of fading away a bit, you know, in terms of what he did last year, so and decision making and stuff like that. So again you got Rosen, you got Jake Browning, which He's not Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know where that came from. Uh,
0: uh, he could not resemble – like, if you'd asked me to name 100 quarterbacks that he resembles in some way, shape, or form, I could literally come up with more than 100 before I got anywhere close. I mean, he's not even the most, like – there are other quarterbacks named Ben that are more like. I mean, I'm trying to think of no, – no other quarterback named Roethlisberger, but probably there's other quarterback named Ben. Like, um, Ben, what's his name? Ben Bennett.
1: He's more like Ben Bennett, the former
0: Duke quarterback, than he is like Ben
4: Roethlisberger.
1: Yeah. Um, Now, the only thing I'll say about Jake Browning, my only issue with him from film perspective is that he can make decent throws. Sure. But, like, any quarterback that gets pressured, like like, here's the big difference. When I was watching Sam Darnold, when he gets pressured, he's really accurate. When he's pressured, you know, like it was uncanny his ability, like spider sense, whatever you want to call it, to like be pressured and still deliver accurate football on time. With Browning, when you pressure him, that doesn't happen as much, you know. Like it, it just doesn't work out for him. His decision making goes down. His, uh, you know, his accuracy goes down. Just everything, and that's what that's why USC won that game. You know, that's why Alabama won that game. Uh, was because they knew, hey, if we get our hands up and pressure him that, you know, he's going to start to make some bad decisions. He's going to get antsy in the pocket, all that kind of stuff. I still think there's talent with Jake Browning, and I'm not like going, oh, he's he's a system quarterback or he's this or he's that, because I do really like his ball handling. I think he's he's very good when it comes to just, you know, play fakes and, you know, executing offense. And he's actually one of the quarterbacks in this class that's been under center more than everybody else, you know, in terms of just you know, taking the ball from center, uh, which, uh, you know, a lot of guys are just in these sort of shotgun-heavy offenses, and he's actually in one that, you know, at least from the film I saw, he took a few more snaps under center than everybody else. Uh, So I think it's kind of interesting. But, I mean, he's definitely there. But then we have a sea of guys who could be good, but they're just not there yet. And I'm talking, like, Trace McShorley, right, Uh, Mike White, who nobody talks about, Bill. Uh, I am a Western You Kentucky. know, I'm a big Mike White fan, and, and
0: uh, so obviously, when everybody was sort of starting to finally discover Tywan Taylor, I thought to myself, "There's no way they can't notice that Mike White's hitting him with dimes," you know? Like, how do you how do you not how do you watch a receiver? And it's like with Ryan Higgins when he Everyone's starting to fall in love with Carlos, but not everyone. Many people are falling in love with Carlos Henderson. Did you, and, and even to a lesser extent, Trent Taylor, but do you not notice there's a quarterback who's hit these guys
1: in stride, on time,
3: consistently?
1: Yeah. And Mike White, you know, and basically Mike White has, has all the sort of stuff that you're looking for from a high school perspective and a college perspective, uh, but just nobody talks about him, you know. And then And then, of course, you have Luke Falk, I don't want to leave him out, but, you know, he's definitely there. Uh, Has more of a starter profile based on his high school production, but he could, you know, there's a chance he could be an outlier. I mean, I'm not – I get criticized a lot because I get people that say, why don't you include outliers in your thresholds? And I'm like, he just answered the question for, for myself. Like, why would I put outliers with the threshold? Like, there's definitely a couple. Outliers, but outliers are outliers for a reason. But I mean, Falk definitely has the ability, you know, to become a starter. Uh, Kyle Allen going to Houston, I think it's kind of an interesting thing to see what happens. Of course, you have Brett Riffin from Boise State, who at least has arm talent. That's interesting. Uh, and then of course Wilson Spate from Michigan, who is kind of a mystery in terms of high school production. His whole recruiting status was a mystery, to be honest. Um, but I mean, it's a really deep quarterback class. I mean, if, you, if you're if you just looking at it on paper, you see all the quarterbacks I just named from the Power Five conferences, and then you get into, like, the lower level, you know, the AAC and the Mountain West Conference. You have some quarterbacks that are there, too, that legitimately could have breakout years or, you know, or could take another step because they have at least have the arm talent, too, or Mike White, et cetera. You just look at this class, you go, wow, this is going to be a good quarterback class. And I know – once the season starts, we might get into the whole, well, this quarterback class sucks, but I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know. I I really don't think so because I I think that there's a lot of talent already here and a lot of talent from the rear, you know, from the non-Power 5, that this could actually be a fairly decent quarterback class, you know, comparatively to past seasons, past years, you know, stuff like that.
3: So, Running along those same lines, looking at the running back
0: class, based on what you do, should people be – we talked about it a little bit. We touched upon – there's a lot of sort of names that people know, Ronald Johnson, Chubb, Geis. A lot of, of course, you can talk about Scarborough. There's a lot of names that people know and a lot of opinions all over the map. But based on what you do in terms of production data and projecting forward, who are the guys that actually have the best chance to be good pros and, and guys that it would make sense to take in the draft next year?
1: Well, honestly, I think this is a really deep running back class as well. The, the the one thing I would say is, you know, this last running back class, we had three running backs that hit all pro production going into the year, you know, and guys like Cook, McCaffrey, and uh, Fournette. This year it's a little bit different. We have – we don't have anybody who hit all pro level production thresholds, but we did have people that hit five time Pro Bowl, you know, production thresholds. So guys like Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis and Royce Freeman and Nick Chubb. Uh, and they have a whole nother season this year. So like theoretically Barkley could hit all pro production thresholds this year. Geis could hit all pro production thresholds this year you know, Freeman, Chubb, et cetera. Although probably not Chubb, though, because Chubb has Sonny Michael. You know, they're splitting carries. But, like, Barkley isn't exactly splitting carries, and Geist doesn't have to worry about Fournette anymore. You know, so theoretically those would be the two guys that you would expect to, you know, to rise a bit in terms of sort of stuff like that. But then you have lots of, you know, mid-level talent. You know, guys like Kyle Hicks from TCU I think is kind of a fun – uh, running back you know can catch the football out of the backfield and make plays like that. Edo Smith is gonna be I think he might be like a, a senior bowl running back that gets some hype after that. Uh Rashad Penny because you know he goes to he goes to a team that routinely has running backs that end up with forty percentile, you know, or forty percent market share production, which is like ninety percentile market share production. You know, San Diego State consistently has a running back that hits tons of yardage every single year. And Penny seems like he's next in line to be that type of guy. And, of course, you know, Ronald Jones. And then you have the sleeper guys. Again, these are sleepers, people. Bo Scarborough is a sleeper, <laughs> you know. It's funny
0: because most people reverse those things. Most people would have Bo Scarborough as a guy, you know, to watch out for and Rashad Penny as a sleeper.
1: But Rashad Penny's done more things that the – yeah, man. I mean, yes, I mean, yes. sleep sleeper. And again, these are just sleepers. Like Ronald Jones, to me, is a sleeper. I really? do like Ronald Jones. Wait, yeah, hold on. <laughs> okay. Well, now, his okay. production. Okay. okay, his production was a forty-two point one eight out of hundred. Ah, okay. So he's a sleeper. I'm not saying that he he can't come in this year and bust it up and you know get to that Pro Bowl level production. I'm just saying he hasn't done it yet. Okay. That's why he's a sleeper? Yeah, most of this is just sleepers based on the facts, you know, of what they've done so far. And Ronald Jones does have somewhat of an excuse because you know they were doing that whole running back by committee thing, and USC was kind of a mess in terms of you know all that kind of stuff. Justin Davis too is carries away and stuff like that, um, but he's a sleeper. Kalen Ballage, for Ballage, I don't know which is he's me on. Right.
0: Well, he's some people's RB one. Just so you know, Jim.
1: Well, you need to stop fumbling to these RP one to be honest. But <laughs> um, but, he's, I've, but he's I've,
0: seen, guy. I've seen I've seen David Johnson comps already.
1: Uh, I guess, but like if he was actually you know really really productive because that's another thing too is that he has a guy he's taking carries away from him as well at Arizona State. Um, and for reasons, I mean, c- committee systems exist because of a flaw in every running back. Like I, I don't know. I've I've been through this a lot, man. Melvin Gordon, et cetera. Like, you know, you, you usually have committees because one of these guys or both those guys have flaws in their game. And Kalen Village's flaw flaws happen to be, you know, inside running on top of fumbles. You know, and maybe he improved that this year. But it's like anything else. More fumbles you have, the less football games you win. So, um. And people always go to the Texas Tech game, but again, Texas Tech defense is like a high school defense at this well, point, It's, you know? it's like, funny;
0: people always want to invoke, you know, the Kansas defense when, when, whenever someone points out that, yeah, okay, Joe Mixon was a good player, but you know, <laughs> you know, the 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 guy that set oh, you know, an NCAA record. Um, was on the team with him, uh, and people say, well, you know, that's against Kansas, you know, anybody could have done that, blah, blah, blah. You don't hear that invoked quite as much as Texas Tech, and I, I would willing to bet, and I'm not looking at the numbers now, but the Texas Tech's defense was probably, if not, not much better. I might have been a bit worse against the
1: run than Kansas was. Well, Kansas actually has a pass rusher and a couple – I mean, actually had a couple things. You know? Yes, <laughs> like on Texas their defense, Tech's Yeah, defense is – safeties, corners, I mean, who's their pass rusher? They usually always have undersized guys, as their pass, like 230-pound guys, and that's their primary pass rusher. You know? Right, right. Um, you know, glorified edge safeties, basically, is their pressure. So, I, I just – I mean, and again, I'm not discounting the fact it was great that he had that game, but he didn't follow it up, you know. Like, we have tons of guys, too, that have these big games you know, in the beginning of the year, and then something happens, they get injured, whatever, and then they're just – they disappear and you don't hear about them again for the rest of the year. And that's what Kalen Balaj was. He had a big game against Texas Tech, and then he just kind of faded away, disappeared for the rest of the season, you know, for the most part. So he could have a big breakout year, but he's a sleeper, you know. But he, is. But he has to be. And I do understand he's a big guy, and he, he has Arian Foster-ish kind of traits, you know, in terms of size and stuff like that. But and he can catch the football. But like again, you're you're projecting a lot of stuff he just hasn't proven yet, Uh on top of like guys like Bar Scarborough and you know guys like that, you know. So I would say, I would say those are sleepers, you know, guys that have an interesting physical ability. I mean, because you could say Kalen Balaj, physically speaking, looks the part. Well, Scarborough looks the part, but they haven't done oh, anything to Yeah, well, I mean, Scarborough
0: looks the part of Luke Cage, power man.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, so, like, they, they have – they look the part, but they don't play the part, you know. So, why – you know, why would I put them over guys like Rashad Pitty? Why would I put them over Edo Smith, Kyle Hicks, or Miles Gassings? right? You know, why would I do that? Those guys have proven to be better players.
0: Right. And well, well people usually more. whine about people usually whine about the fact that Miles Gaskins is like 186 pounds or something.
1: Mm, yeah, but at least he's not 176 pounds, you know. Like at least he's 186, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, so, so that's the threshold, Jim. He's got those 10 pounds. Well, 176 is the threshold for weight at running but you know, like oh, okay. bottom end sort of weight. So, like if he's 186, that's perfect, you know. Like, it'd be great if he was bigger, no doubt. But we've proven, at least in the NFL, that, you know, you can have speed backs, you can have power backs. I mean, nobody, you know, I don't know. But, I, but again, I, I think it's a very strong running back class again. I just don't think it's as strong going into it unless guys like Barkley and Geis and maybe some other guy from nowhere, you know, has a big uh, sort of season. My only issue with Chubb is that last year – Uh, he, I wouldn't necessarily say vision, but just decisions as a running back. He tended to, to not go for the hard yards and try to get a lot of easy, you know, bouncing it outside a lot at times, uh, not really following his blockers, you know, kind of improvising a little too much for my taste, you know, um, and he didn't win with like he would make these decisions to, you know, I'm going to cut back and know, hard and go, you know, and basically not follow my blockers and just make a play. And he didn't always do that. He didn't always make the play that he was trying to make, you know, with the decisions as a runner. And I don't know if that's just because he's trying to prove that he's back, which he isn't technically back. But, you know. But, yeah, Chubb, Chubb's always going to be there. Uh, but I just don't really – I think the luster's gone a bit with him to a certain extent because of the injuries and because of, you know, last year sort of to a certain extent.
3: Okay,
0: and moving on to the wide receiver class. Now, I've seen some people already very excited about next year's wide receiver class, and I've seen others much less excited. So I guess it all depends on what you like. But uh, based on what you do, I'm more in the ex- excited, or at least in you know interested, uh, to see what what the future holds, uh, camp than I am in the you know unexcited class. But tell me tell me what based on what you do where. Where should someone be? What what makes more sense?
1: I'm really intrigued by it. Ma- mostly based on film, though. I mean, data-wise, Cortland Sutton is the top guy. If you just go by what was initially reported, he's basically Mike Williams, but had all-pro production thresholds hit. You know? Right, more productive so, and a better
0: route runner, basically.
1: Yeah, basically. So, like, I still want to see him improve against press. Uh, you know, kind of use his hands more just to get separation and stuff like that. Because he he was one of those, he was very treadwell-ish in terms of just like you know I'll catch the football, but you know there's things you could do treadwell to get a little bit more separation. You know, um, you know at least to uh, do a couple subtle things. You know, like kind of pushing off and stuff like that. But but doing it subtle enough that the ref doesn't catch it. You know, stuff like that. Um, but I mean he's a really you know he's really impressive just in terms of size for sort of stuff. Christian Kirk, of course, is in this class. You know, super fast, super exciting player as well. Uh, uh, James Washington, you know, who was actually my wide receiver one last year, and then he didn't declare, and I was bummed out. But you know, but he's in this. He's in this class. Uh, Richie James from Middle Tennessee State's also fairly impressive uh, player as well, just in terms of production and you know other sort of stuff. He reminds you me know. a lot of Troy Brown. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but he, he's another guy who's pretty, fairly impressive route runner. Is fast and knows how to use his speed to you know, set stuff up. Michael Gallup, too, from Colorado State. Ah, oh, yes. There we go. I haven't heard a lot of stuff about him. Now, that. most people call, would call impressive. him a sleeper,
0: but they're doing that based on the fact sleeper. he goes to Colorado State,
1: I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's the most productive yeah. wide receiver in the class he is. right now. He has I the know. highest production score, 91.53 out of 100.
0: So And he's got good physical characteristics. I mean I don't know his exact testing numbers yeah. obviously, but from he's got a good frame on him and from what well, he looks athletic on tape to me, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah. You know, now he might not like run four or four or whatever, but no. he has the basic but combinations. I bet, he, I bet he's road. four or five two or, or or possibly less. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like he has the basic sort of stuff. That you're looking for, and on film, I, w- I was pretty impressed with his route nobody watched Colorado State, so <laughs> for, for good reasons. I mean, it was, it was they were kind of a team that was good one week and then terrible the next. Which I, I get it, but I just well, think that that's, that's another guy that's slept here's on. Here's what end. I'll say: I watched a lot of San Diego State, and San Diego State had a pretty
0: darn good secondary. And I mean, Gallup didn't light the world on fire, but he was clearly, to me, clearly the best player on Colorado State's team uh when I watched him against San Diego State. And I'm trying to think if there's any other games where I can't think of a game where he struggled. Uh, there were games where the rest of the team struggled, I can only say that much. But he seemed to be able to handle even when he faced teams that had NFL types in their secondary, he seemed to know how to handle them. I I'll, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah. You know, he had he had some pretty good games against um I forgot which team it was, but like, you know, he he's a good player. He's a good route runner, too. Uh, you know, at least shows some some good route running crowds. Similar to, like, um, uh, what's his name? Isaiah Ford, you know, ish. In yeah, there terms you go. Of like his style and stuff. Right, but so like, bigger so and more athletic. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you got guys like that. Jordan Villeman is still here. That's right. I know. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> a couple of years ago, he was about to be the flavor of the month.
1: Yeah, doesn't punch ish, you know. Oh um, Right. But he's still here, people. He's still alive. <laughs> hey, I'm a six three turn, twenty pound wide receiver. Love me, you know um, <laughs> type of thing. But I mean I like Jordan Villeman. I just always he just had a rough couple years, man. Yeah. You know? he did. Um kind of injuries and the quarterback I mean the quarterback play was it was sort of like a wide receiver running a really good slant and then the, the and then the quarterback still, you know, doesn't get the ball on, you know, like just accuracy all over the place, you know. Yeah, there's
2: certain throws um, that you
1: shouldn't back shoulder, and that
0: little th- quick three-step fade—that's not a throw to back shoulder.
1: That's, no, that's not.
0: A, that's not what you want to do there.
3: But
1: so like, pro, I hope he tip. does. Yeah, I hope he does well this year. You know, I mean, it's it's been a while. We've been waiting. Failure to launch territory, I guess. But I mean, but he still has some positive sort of you know, things, uh Malik Turner in Illinois is a is another wide receiver that I'm really impressed with. Every time I've seen Malik Turner, just in terms of just his combination of just, you know, can basically run every every game I've seen him, he's one of the few wide receivers that I've seen run the most types of routes, you know, fairly well. And it's just a tough guy, good body control, all that kind of stuff. But again he plays in Illinois. So you know He's going to have that going for him, you know, playing at Illinois. But he's a pretty impressive player on and off the field. He's a pretty smart guy too. Right. So uh, I think he's another guy that, you know, will, will kind of may not get any attention at all because he plays in Illinois. But based on his production, he hit at least the threshold he should have hit. And his film's good too. And then, of course, Anthony Miller Jr. Wow, is the other guy. There's a feel
0: old moment for me. This.
1: But, but oh, but here's the thing about him though, Bill. Um, he's not related to the Anthony Miller. Thank you. I feel a little bit better. Than different, that. <laughs> different, different Anthony Miller. I will surprised as well. Okay. If he actually was. He might actually be, you know, more hyped, I guess. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, no no relation. But I was surprised by that. But yeah, he. But he's another guy who, at least as a wide receiver, hit fairly good production marks and stuff like that. Um, some other guys, Scott Miller from. Bowling Green oh, yeah. hit a hit a pretty pretty high production mark. Uh, Trey Smith from Central Florida hit pretty decent production marks. Uh, Ricky June from Georgia Tech hit pretty good production marks, but his film is kind of you know. Uh, and then we got sleepers, right? Sleepers like either you know uh, Calvin Ridley to me <laughs> oh, is oh, a
2: sleeper. Boy. See, this is
1: why. My- is that the the villagers
0: keep, keep look for their pitchforks and their torches, Chip.
1: Well, his production score just isn't that high. You know, it's it's 67.42, which is Treadwell level. You know, it's not bad. It's just not good. And I would even contend that last year our Darius Stewart was the best wide receiver in Alabama. You know, um, despite all the stuff and. I don't know. I mean, I've heard Calvin Ridley, some people compare him to Marvin Harrison, Bill. Like, the hype has got out of hand with Calvin Ridley. So, um, I just think it's, it's just way too too much praise for a guy who just hasn't really hit high-end sort of production marks but in terms of what he's done. You know, and then, we, of course, we have Alan Lazard. You know, he's kind of a size guy that people like to go to. But I think he's kind of a slow-ish, of reason, you know, um, so yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Sidney Cobbs Jr. from, from Indiana. Oh, yeah. Another guy that, yes, he's that fun to watch. Size profile stuff. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, it's funny. Speaking of Cobbs, I mean, um, I'm trying to think who it is I'm thinking. Um, who's that sort of unproductive, stiff power receiver that the Steelers drafted and keep thinking is about to become something? Um, from
1: Auburn. Um, Oh, you mean uh, I know I I have them in my mind, um,
0: yeah, hmm. almost, almost Scotty Montgomery, not Montgomery, almost um, not Scotty, almost Ty Montgomery-esque, um, power, speed, receiver, stiffy, not very, not very route runnery, um, <laughs> like two hundred twenty-six pounds, about six. One and a half from Auburn, uh, I can see him in my mind very yes, right that's I see i mean not quite a stiffy type, but another guy who's you know you're very impressed with the physical prospect you know and the i mean he's a not maybe not quite that
1: big but a power receiver to some extent who I think is gonna take right. well physically yeah but. and. And his production isn't really at the level it needs to be yet, which is right. why he's a sleeper. Yes. But as with, he does as have with coats, yes. Yeah. But he does have some impressive physical sort of characteristics. So we'll see what happens. Again, these are why these guys are sleepers. Let's see what happens, you know, this year. <laughs> right. Um Antonio Callaway Florida is more of a, you know, sleeper. That but there are people yeah. that actually have him as like a second rounder or first yes. rounder even. Um which is just, you know, that sort of stuff. And Deion Kane, I, I guess he's a sleeper. He's not the best wide receiver at Clemson right now. You know, Hunter Renfro is the best wide receiver at Clemson. Yes, Clinton. thank you very much. <laughs> but Deion Cain, I guess, is the next in line because four five stars, right, I guess. I don't know. But just on paper, his, Stats are really not that impressive. like six two turn pounds of a four five forty is not exactly screaming, you know, amazingness, you know, as much as like Sidney Cobbs being six three turn twenty pounds of a four five two for like basically a guy who's twenty pounds heavier who ran the same speed. So I don't know what's more impressive physically speaking, but apparently Deion Kane is. But yeah, so you got you got that guy, uh Paris Campbell is the sleeper. I mean, his production score was a 6.59 out of 100. There's never been a long-term starting quarterback. Well, excuse me, not quarterback, but wide receiver with that production profile, with the exception of quarterbacks. You know, guys like Antoine Randall and um, the uh, Patriots. Oh, Julian Edelman. Edelman, you know. Edelman. Yeah, these are quarterbacks. You know, these aren't wide receivers. So it's a special case sort of thing when it comes to Paris Campbell. Maybe he's productive this year. Maybe he's not. Honestly, Ohio State is very up in the air in terms of like what their team is going to be, you know, like it's kind of a transition year, to be honest. Um but yeah, so yeah so yeah, guys like that. And uh that's really about it in terms of like sleepers. I mean the productive guys are all the guys I just mentioned. Sleep you know, Caleb Woods maybe from Florida Atlantic might be a sleeper because you know, he, he has some fairly productive sort of stuff, though. He's kind of slow. Um, you know. But, I mean, it's an interesting class of wide receivers. I'm intrigued by it. I think there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of guys that are good route runners. There's a lot of guys that have some physical sort of tools uh, and, and that other kind of stuff. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with wide receivers. I think it's good, but there's not exactly a lot of out of the box woohoo power five guys, which I think is why most people don't like it,
3: so. yep, okay, and
0: now, obviously, this year's tight end class, it's unlikely you know that I can do what last year's tight end class did, but you know there's some guys, um Mr. Goldert uh you know will draw some interest there's a few others um what's the kid at uh oh my gosh uh his name will come back to me but yes, yeah, so there's a few that you know people have already started to tout who what do you think based on the work that you do you know where should people be on the tight end class and who are the actual based on your work who are the tight ends that we actually should be you know getting all warm and running over if any
1: Honestly, when I ran the stuff for tight ends, I I, I drawed a lot of blanks, you know. Um, none of them really hit Pro Bowl All-Pro speed thresholds based on what they initially reported, you know, which is a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing because it may not be true. It's a bad thing because what if they tried to inflate it, you know, trying to make it look better than it actually is, you know, in terms of uh, initial report. Uh, but productive guys. I mean, there's a bunch of productive guys. Troy Fumagalli is one of those guys who's fairly productive. Uh, a- Adam Brenneman from Massachusetts yep. is another guy who's fairly productive. Uh, Dallas, like you said, Goder Godere uh, is a is a very productive guy, though. It's at a lower level of division, and he's not exactly like Adam Shaheen because Adam Shaheen was, you know, six seven, you know, turned yes, seventy giant, yes, giant. <laughs> Dallas Goeders is like 6'3", three, fifty five pounds. He's, right, he's a little he's more tech-y. Chris, a little more Chris Coolish, a little more. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. And his age score is not really that impressive either. You know, thirty eight point nine nine on age score, so below average age, productive. But I don't really think he's going to be Shaheen, even though he was kind of drafted a little too high. Um, so of course you got that. You got Mike Jasticky, who might be this year's. Uh, remember that tight end at Minnesota? Oh, you mean uh, Max double X Williams? Yeah, Max Williams. I think Mike Jasicki might be the Max Williams of this class. Where people because, start talking about as a as a guy who might go in the top twenty five. Yep. And then he goes to the Combine and runs four eighty four. Right. So people <laughs> he goes to the Combine and runs four eight four. Go away. And I like Mike Jasicki. I think as a blocker, he's kind of eh. As a pass catcher, he does have soft hands, which I think is the big driving force, I guess. And he's a Penn State guy. Penn, Penn State tight ends are kind of like Notre Dame tight ends, I guess, in terms of like, you know, they I guess they look good in the uniform, you know. The uniform sells the tickets, I guess, when it comes to them. <laughs> but, um, but, hey, they got good uniforms for tight ends. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, know. But... But Jasicki is just a guy that I think has soft hands, is fairly productive, but he doesn't really have a really great speed score. Based on what was first, you know, basically said, you know, like what his speed score was, and then of course his age is kind of okay, but not really amazing. Um, some other a guy that I actually was fairly like woohoo, and then I actually found that he's a sophomore, so like he's not draft eligible. But Isaac uh, Nata from Georgia.
2: Oh yes, right. he's a guy
1: that he's a sophomore. Well, there. I knew he's a sophomore because we had Donovan talking about him well, was just
0: two years ago, right? As a possible yeah. high school TE one.
1: Right, right, right. And so far, it's looking good for him if he improves. I mean, if he could beat out Jeb, you know, Blazovic, who seems kids. to have been in school for about seven years forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> But he's the guy, and of course, I think Mark Andrews is the other guy that people have been a lot of people are excited about about Mark Andrews kind of stuff. And he's really good at running crossing routes and catching, you know, rollout passes from uh, yes uh, from Baker Mayfield. But other than that, um, what is he like? I'm I'm just throwing this out. Like other than that, other than him catching, you know, rollout passes from. from Baker Mayfield, what exactly has Mark Andrews done? I, you know, his production profile doesn't really hit Pro Bowl outcomes yet, nor does it hit ultra outcomes. That might improve this year, but based on my work, he's more of a sleeper than an actual thing. You know, like he could break out this year, he could become a much more productive player. But in that that Mayfield offense, that's a big question mark because, you know, it's more a wide receiver centric kind of thing. You know? So, so you got that guy. Of course, you got Hayden Hurst, who kind of broke my heart because his, his age score—he's gonna have a 1.9 age score. So how um, old is he? He's like 24 and a half on draft day. Okay, so that's that's not good. Okay. I don't know why he's that old, but he's <laughs> that old. Is well, he is he a Mormon?
0: Mormon? Is, I mean, I'm trying to sort of figure out, you know. Well, he plays
1: who? in South Carolina, so oh, don't well really, then I guess that's unlikely. Although there there are Mormons here, but normally they don't, they don't play football. <laughs> okay, Because um, they want to go to insane. BYU, you know. It's like it's like being a Catholic that plays, you know, Penn State or you know, Notre Dame. But um, I I don't know. I don't know why is that old. I mean, I do like his film. I think he's a fairly. I mean, that's the thing about all these tight ends, like Tyler Conklin. You know. Uh, Troy from like they have good film. It's just they don't have what this last class had in terms of production and super-duper crazy athleticism. Like none of the speed scores I've done have hit that threshold for speed, which is about 77 out of 100. Um, So this is going to be a class that's going to be really dependent on, uh, you know, a guy breaking out who I just don't know of. Uh, than the guys that are already there, because most of the guys that I've just mentioned are guys that realistically should be day two, day three guys versus first rounders. You know, right?
3: I'm trying to remember.
0: I'm trying to remember who USC has on their depth chart at at tight end. I keep thinking
1: they had at least one tight end that I liked.
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: uh, but I'm trying to remember. They had a they... bunch of guys, but they also had trans- They had transfers and. Um, I don't I c I, I, I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking right. about somebody one guy that some, one of those guys I liked. Whoever it was, I liked it.
3: <laughs> but yeah, there's at least one that I liked. That much I can remember. <laughs>
1: Yeah, USC, they're tied in I mean they have uh Tyler Petit. Ooh, I'm was, not... Don't think that's who it was. So, yeah, they have Daniel uh Emator that's not a real name. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, it's Is it Daniel like a script powered e- spelling bee kind of situation? It's Daniel Ema <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they carry uh, carry Angela, Angeline or Angeline, right? So I don't know. The one I'm they thinking like, of made about
0: four really nice catches. It might have been the only four catches he made, but made about four really nice catches um, in that uh, not the bowl game, but the, the last game before the bowl game was it? Uh, was the Notre Dame game?
1: That Washington.
0: Or maybe it was Washington. Yes, yes, thank you. Washington wasn't Notre Dame. It was Washington. yeah,
1: because that because that was the uh, the Pac-12. Yes, Wait, wasn't the Pac-12? No, that wasn't the Pac-12 championship. Huh? Or maybe it was. Maybe it, wasn't I it was. Game. I think
0: it was. I think it was. That's yeah. That's who they played in the Pac-12 championship. They played Washington, right? I think it was. Yes. I think so. Yeah, I'm almost certain it was. So yes, and they 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 handled them. So yes, I I think that was the game I'm thinking of, and he had a pretty good game against. Even though Washington supposedly had uh, linebackers who could cover, or at least that's what I
1: heard. Well, we hear that every year, you know. Apparently, if you're a 230 linebacker that, you know, can do crazy lateral movements, then, you know, you're good at covering, apparently. So it's the Miles Jack effect, I guess, is a certain thing. Um, Hmm.
3: Well, whichever one of the tight ends, he had,
0: like, Four really nice catches for probably about 48 or so yards, it seems like, memory serves, and he looked good. And he seemed to be able to block reasonably well also, if memory serves me correct, whoever it was.
1: Right. Was it uh, Deontay Burnett? No, it's Mark Seaver. You sure it's not Daniel imator I think it might have been. I don't. I think you may be pronouncing
0: that not quite the way it's meant to (laughs) be pronounced.
1: I understand, but I'm looking at a name right now that is just. I just don't know. I don't know anymore with these names. So, where's number eighty-eight? Though I think that um, might be the player I'm thinking of. Yeah, that might be him, Daniel Ema.
0: This is where we could use Donald.
1: Yeah. But yes, I yeah. think that might be it. I
0: think that might
4: yeah.
1: be the player that <laughs> uh, might be it. But be they the... they have a guy who I
0: think has a chance. Um, if if that is indeed the player I'm thinking of, it, I think it might be. But there's, I admit that this is not. I mean, obviously, this is not going to be like last year's tight end class. But I think there'll no. be, you know, really not. But I think there'll be a couple, you know, a couple of three solid long-term NFL starters. Yeah, and I,
1: I think so as well. Uh, I just. Again, it's a a, a thing that I guess I'm a sin of. Well, that I I usually, like, my cardinal sin, I guess, is that if you don't have a chance of becoming a Pro Bowl or Off-Road player, then apparently I sound like I hate that guy. But it's not that I hate that guy. It's just that, you know, why would you draft a guy in the first round, you know, top 10, top 20, who didn't really have a chance of becoming a special tight end? I don't know. Like, to me, the first round is supposed to be where you take guys that have chances to be special players, you know. I know that's not the case anymore, but I, at least I, I thought that's what it was. But, yeah, he might be a guy it, – it really – I guess all I'm trying to say is that the tight end class definitely has a lot of guys that can be starters. Uh, they have the production at least to become starters. It's just that they don't have the star power like this last class had, at least what we know right now. And then, of course, that guy that you like from USC – yeah, you know, Daniel eighty eight, I guess is, is, is what I'll go. call it from now we can on. Go with that. We can go with that. <laughs> Could break out and, you know, do his thing. Uh and you know, and then we'll see from there. But um but yeah, I mean but for the most part that's what it really needs. It needs a breakout guy. And unfortunately Isaac not uh is, you know, a sophomore, so he can't really declare. Which I've seen a little bit in this film. He's pretty, you know, impressive. Kind of a y tight end though, but yeah, yeah, he's okay. He's okay. He's decent. Yeah. But, um first Cam uh, Serene, too.
3: Oh, right. From, now, that's the uh, guy
1: that course. I do
0: like. Now, I don't think he's going to be a super sexy texter, texter type. I think he's going to run, you know, 4.89 or whatever. But he's really understands route running. He's a decent blocker. And I think he's going to be a guy who plays 10 years in the NFL, even if he's not – tight TE1, he might be that other tight end, but I think he's going to play for a long time
1: in the league. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the thing about this class. Lots of guys that, you know, might play in the league for a bit. Yeah, so um, like him, or Tommy Sweeney maybe from Boston College, he's another guy. Just has sort of height sort of stuff, but um but, yeah, just not a lot of uh, – of course, other people have been there, like, DeAndre Goolsbee. So I've never really been the biggest Goolsbee fan, but there are some people out there. Well, that that's another him, that's
0: of the looks-the-part guy.
1: That's another guy. Yeah. Look
0: at him. Good Lord. Look at him. Just look. Yeah, that's what that is all about.
1: He's just impressive. The
0: gaze on him. Kind
1: of, <laughs> meh, you know. Right, right. He's not a great player, but he looks like he could be one. Yeah. And we have a Notre Dame tied in too. Of course we do. He's not productive and no. slow. Yeah. Name <laughs> Durham Mike. I think. <laughs> That's what it is. And of course we have Jalen Samuels, but he's a H back backy guy. He basically has more things in common with like Chris uh Sam, you know, not not Curtis Samuel, excuse me, in terms of uh I'm not saying he is Curtis Samuel, but the way they use him at North Carolina State and Jalen Samuels is very Curtis Samuel-esque, you know, in terms of how they use him.
0: Right. I mean, I don't think he's 230 pounds. I mean, he's... No. Oh. I, uh.
1: I I think, wait, he's like, probably like 218 or something, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, he's not a tight end, even though it reminds me of when that UCLA guy came out. Or UCLA tight ends in oh, general. that's Right. For some reason at UCLA a tight end is someone who is six three and two hundred and twenty five pounds. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what UCLA's <laughs> definition of a tight end is. And that's probably why they're not doing too high. To be
3: that's a yeah, it's a lot you can't ask
0: that guy to you know, hey, I need you to go out there and you know, take on Jason Pierre Paul. Like you can't really ask that. You can't really that's that's not gonna work out. <laughs> you know about Mike, um uh oh, something Italianish. Um though he I don't think Duarte something no not uh, uh Duarte. Thomas Duarte yeah yeah Filipino whatever he is yes right thank you Thomas yeah. Duarte Yes, that's right Thomas Duarte yeah yeah he was like yeah six two and change at two and twenty four pounds. We
1: <laughs> didn't just have that with number eleven you know, from last year, too, was I, – I, I forgot his name, too, but he was another guy. That from Florida he, Atlantic, was you mean? Or uh, are you talking about – there was a couple of guys. No, were, t- UCLA.
0: Oh, oh, UCLA,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. A of and players. another guy. See, that's the thing I don't get. You have Josh Rosen. You would think as a tight end you'd be like, you know what, I want to play with that dude. Well, maybe that's what it is. I I'm answering my own question. (laughs) But if you think about it, if you're a tight end or a wide receiver, you would love to play for Josh Rosen. Yes, you would, yes. You would get the national attention. Scouts would be watching you, you know, and if you made plays,
2: they would draft you.
1: Hmm. Even if you're not good, they would draft you because, hey, you caught passes from Mr. Josh Rosen. So, because the NFL does that sometimes, people. They draft players just because they caught passes from a famous person.
0: If somebody would um, like if somebody would like to just look this up, Randy Vataha, and he may have gone like the fourth or fifth, I don't know what round he went in, but Randy Vataha was Jim Plunkett's favorite receiver at Stanford. And he got drafted purely because he was Jim Plunkett's and by the same team, in fact. He was drafted by the uh same team in order not to break up the set. So the the Patriots took Vataha might have been as early as the fourth. Hopefully it was later, but I think it might have been, it may have been, hopefully it was later, but they took him somewhere in the middle rounds, if my memory serves you correctly, simply so that Jim Plunkett would have, you know, something sort of familiar to deal with as he moved, you know, all the way across country uh, from California to to the Boston area. And, I mean, no offense to Randy Bataha, but, but he was not the kind of guy that should have been drafted in the middle rounds. He was the kind of guy that should have been a an undrafted free agent or a tryout kind of player. Yeah. He was a very small, not very fast, and not even super quick, craftyish, toughish receiver, but just had literally zero special qualities. Except he could take a hit. That's just Randy Mataha, he could take a hit. He didn't care if you hit him in the head with a baseball bat. He was going to catch the football. I'll give him credit for that.
1: But he couldn't get open, and he couldn't really run. He wasn't very big. This is funny. I, t- I type in Florida State tight end, and Nick, and Nick O'Leary's name comes up. Um, <laughs> another guy that's like that. Uh, but, yeah, Nate, Nate Easy, I think, is the other guy that was the tight end for And he came in at 6'2", 252. But what I saw in the film was somebody who was, like, hanging out at 240. So, um, well, he might be 252 size-wise. Right? Exactly. That's my point. Like, right now, he was 252. But back then, when he was catching passes from Josh Rosen, he was like two forty, you know, ish or two thirty ish, you know, unless he right. was like packing weights on or something. But, um, but yeah, I mean UCLA and tight ends just don't mix. I'm sorry the last time.
0: I mean Charles Arbuckle had a decent career. But I'm remember the last time they had a really really good UCLA tight end? It seems like it's been a little while.
1: Well, you have uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tight end, oh, Mercedes uh, Lewis. Lewis a career. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, Mercedes. Who's still on the team? I'm amazed that <laughs> people don't realize that Mercedes, little Mercedes Lewis, Mister Drafted 2006, which yep. is in NFL years, he's like 70, you know, in terms of tight ends, and he's still kicking it. Still got a job. So, yeah. You know, hey, <laughs> one day you could be Mercedes Lewis. You know. Well, that's, yeah, that's who you should strive to be i guess
3: i'll
0: give him credit i didn't think he'd hang around this long i was never super impressed when i saw some people had him as their t- tight end one i was like wait what that marcedes
2: lewis yeah
0: <laughs> so yes i was i'll be i mean i don't i don't know if you can still pull up our, our old archived rankings from cds from Consensus draft services from those days Sometimes if you search the right way, sometimes the uh, and you know you put in archive, whatever the internet will still let you pull up. It's like oh, I'm writing this? Uh, but some things, you know, I guess they see the internet's forever. But some things I can't find even when I say you know archived. But but yes, I remember sort of fighting with some of the guys on my site about that. Uh, like it's like he's other than being big, I can't find anything that's even above average about this guy. But he did play in the right on the right team. He did get featured, you know, in their offense.
1: Yeah. He was – I mean, when they – when Jacksonville was – had the second surge, I guess, you know, because you had the first surge with uh, Vernell, and then you had the second surge with Garrard. And now we're just – I don't know what we are, but the Bortles surge, if you want to call it that. Um, well, I think this is the end of the Bortles <laughs> surge. I mean – I The can... Gabbert. He uh, might break might out brutal. or whatever,
0: but unless something special happens, I think this might
1: be sort of the end of the Bartle, Bortles era. Yeah, it probably is, you know, which eventually I'm going to do actual mock draft and people aren't going to like it. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, Lewis is definitely one of those guys. But, like, that's the thing is I think this class might have some Mercedes Lewis's, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be, you know, pro bowlers or all-pro guys or whatever, you know, stuff like that.
2: All right. Well, but, I
1: mean, that's. That's because
0: Marseille Lewis has not been a Pro Bowler at all. Pro-
1: exactly. That's my point, you know. So, like, there could be guys like him, but that's really about it, you know. So, lower expectations, I guess, which there really isn't high expectations anyway. Other than Mike Tosicki, I'm, I'm telling you, Mike Tosicki gets a lot of hype for stuff that I don't really see on film. Yeah, like he's not exactly super fast. He's not a great blocker. He's just kind of has soft hands and stuff. Yep. Well, that's how I felt about Mercedes Lewis. (laughs)
0: That's that's exactly how I felt. It's like, okay, so he is big ish and he does have soft hands, but he's average
3: or below average at literally everything else that I can see. Okay. Um, will the lovers of offensive tackles will they be able
0: to
1: fall back in love after having well
2: that's been a very lonely? That's last a question year?
1: mark. I got some hate, which I'm used to hate. I, I get a, a abnormal amount of hate. You know, I don't know what the ratio is, but yeah, a lot of people are like, how dare you? How dare you not have so and so as a top five guy? And I'm like. It says it in the title, analytics. (laughs) There you go. That's how. The top five best, you know, players based on analytics. Not based on PFF grades. Not based on how I felt about them. Just based on the data. And this class definitely has some guys. I think the, the one guy that I haven't seen any film on him at all, but he, based on the initial speed score stuff, uh, was off-road was, uh, level, was Grant Newsom from Michigan. Um, he's about 6'6", 318, and had an 88 speed score based on the data that was provided. You know, he may not be that fast. But then again, you know, Ken Robinson was reported to have, a, you know, a 5'3", and ended up running faster. So, um, But, yeah, Grant Newsom is one of those guys who, who's kind of like that. Gerhard De Beer, uh from Arizona, is one of those guys. Bentley Spann didn't have the best game against uh the uh the small guy, I forgot his name. But the, the pass rusher from Pittsburgh, you didn't really have the best game against him, but he does at least have sort of some interesting sort of things. Uh Brandon Parker from North Carolina A&T. Also has some interesting things. Orlando Brown is going to be a Raider. I'm just saying that out right now because the Raiders tend to like guys like Orlando Brown, you know, 6'7", 358 pounds, who run five four seven. That just seems like a Raider, you know, in terms of what they like. Uh, But the guys that people are gravitating to, like the Connor Wyatt – or Mitch Hyatt, excuse me, and Connor Williams, those guys are like 6'5". You know, and their speed scores aren't exactly amazing. So I don't, I mean, I haven't seen their film yet, but based on the, on paper, Connor Williams looks more like a guard and Mitch Hyatt also looks more like a guard, you know, in terms of their height and their speed score. Because, again, guys at that height, 6'5", that are amazing are guys that have, like, 90 percent all plus athleticism traits. And none of those guys on paper right now have 90-plus percent on of offensively trades, which they might. But I guess what I'm saying is they, they have more things in common with, like, uh, Forest Lamp, although Forrest Lamp was faster too. But, like, that's basically because size profile, they just look more like guards and tackles, you know, in terms of class. Okay. And how about the interior offensive line? Oh, well, that's pretty good, too. I mean, also film-wise, too. You know, guys like Quentin Nelson, uh, Brian Allen from Michigan State, uh, Brian O'Neill, who's a tackle, but based on hype, is more of a guard. Uh, Billy Price from Ohio State also is kind of here. Martez Ivey from Florida. I mean, it looks like a pretty decent interior line class from a speed score perspective. I, I think it's, fairly decent. And Quentin Nelson and Brian Allen are two, they were two guys that actually had his first rounders last year before they decided not to declare. Uh, but they're, but they're pretty impressive players on film too. Okay.
3: Okay. So of that group, who's the one that were two
0: maybe that seemed to be the most promising?
1: Uh, Brian Allen. And Marchez Ivy, just based on his speech score. Okay. I haven't I haven't seen Marchez Ivy. So I can't really speak. I've seen Brian Allen though. He he's a pretty good player.
3: Sure, okay. And if you were sort of stacking a board, so we've got a pretty deep
0: sounding quarterback class, a meh, sounding tight end class, pretty good wide receiver, really good running back, good solid tackle and good solid tackle guard center class. If you were just sort of saying to people in the first couple of rounds, I see the you know first three rounds, I guess even, top 100, whatever you want to put it, I see the depth or the, the, the meat or however you want to put it, of that being in these classes, how would you sort of stack up how those staying on the offensive side of the ball for the moment they will jump to defense. How would you sort of stuff those, you know, rank those groups as they might go in the early, you know, like the first three rounds of the draft?
1: Right. I might be crazy, but I would have quarterbacks number one. You know, based on a data perspective I would have them number one. Um followed by running back then offensive line, then wide receivers, then tight ends. So if you're just based just on numbers, it would be quarterbacks, uh, running backs, offensive line, wide receivers, and then tight ends.
3: Okay.
0: Got it. Now we can move over to the defensive side of the ball. And people always focus on pass rushers and cover corners. So I yep. hear already, because that's how the world works, uh, people talking about who the top pass rushers and who the top cover corners might be. And then Derwin James, just because he's Derwin James, his name gets painted about. But tell me, based on what you've seen so far, where should we be paying attention? What what
3: feels the most promising to you? And then we'll talk about individual position groups.
1: Hmm. I'll tell the best. Well, that's really tough to say. I mean... Safety definitely, if you view Michael Fitzpatrick as a safety, which I do, but but he's changing position, so now we don't, we can't do that anymore, I guess. Uh, but you know, Marcus Epps from Wyoming, another safety that's that's fairly interesting. Cornerback uh, class has some interesting names, you know, in terms of. Uh, McFadden and stuff like that. Jalen Dunlap's also kind of interesting from uh, uh, Illinois. Linebackers, I think, is better than last year. Um, not necessarily physical-wise, but just production-wise. Guys like Micah Kaiser and Jack Cici were guys I was really impressed with uh, in terms of what they did. And, of course, Malik Jefferson – Hasn't had the type of season yet indicative of a of a special linebacker, but he does at least have the physical tools. So he's more Miles Jackish than uh, than I want him to be, but he definitely could have a big year this year potentially. You know, he's basically a threat, I guess, a sleeper. Um, and then the defensive tackle class seems to be a little bit have a little bit more depth than last year's class from a production standpoint with guys like Harrison Phillips. And uh Derek Nandi and you know I think the only knock that this defensive tackle class will have is that it doesn't it's not filled with like six foot five defensive tackles, it's filled with like six foot six foot one guys, but the six one guys are productive. So I always find it funny, the NFL doesn't get that production and athleticism regardless of height is a better indicator, you know, for success. So Uh, And we have a lot of that in this class of defensive tackle. And the edge class, I just think, is kind of yeah. I think there's a lot of – there are players in the edge class I think are good, but I just think that there's a lot of guys that are overhyped as well. Um, And a lot of guys that I just think haven't broken out yet. And if they break out, it'll help the class. But I don't think there's a Miles Garrett or Joey (laughs) Bosa-like guy or even Clowney-like player in this class. No. Because on paper, none of them are like that, so – we got some Pernal McFees though.
2: There you go. You know,
1: but we don't have both Garrett or Clowney or even kind of spoiled bit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes.
0: Right. I it's don't edgy. see we might have a Melvin Ingram in there I think. Uh, you might be able to find a Corey Legit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you might be able to find one of those. Uh, I think there might be maybe even like a Mark Anderson floating around out there. Um... How did Cameron Wake actually test? Do you remember Cameron Wake's actual testing? Or did he you tested
1: haven't? like Joey Porter. Oh,
0: that's pretty good then.
1: Yeah.
2: How,
0: how the heck did people not like Cameron Wake <laughs>
1: coming out? Uh, I mean, he he was a bit, I mean, when he came out, he was, he was like 230 230 and ish pounds. I think that's what he, I think he weighed So he went to Canada, yeah, so he went to Canada, took a bunch of steroids, and then came to the U.S. <laughs> you keep saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying a man in his 30s like a physician. I've done the data stuff though, right. right Guys who hit their 30s consistently end up becoming less productive like we're talking, Avil even guys that were good in their 20s have consistently a drop of about 40 to 50 percent in terms of their production, either due to injuries or just due to their body breaking down or whatever. And maybe because you didn't play in the NFL you know he played in the cfl maybe because it was lighter he was able to but i'm just saying come on man (laughs) come on come on man you know you you don't you don't like start out at 230 ish pounds go to canada have 20 plus pounds worth of muscle put on come to the nfl and then not lose any of that and, and actually get better as you enter your 30s like It's just really rare for a guy to get even better at an edge – at the edge position specifically to get even better unless you're taking some stuff. So I'm not accusing the man. I'm just saying that the the odds are are very – the likelihood of him actually taking things is very high in his case when you look at the facts presented. So that's all I'm saying. But yeah, he was very Joey Porter, Porter like when he came out. But he was undersized, and Joey Porter was also a guy who's kind of undersized, two and eighths coming out. So, in terms of like what we think of as a, he was like two hundred and thirty ish, forty ish, you know, lighter side of the, H back right. tight end kind of thing right. at the edge position.
0: Right. Like I say, he was two thirty six. I remember what he weighed
1: when he um, at his
0: pro day and i can't remember i don't I can't remember if he was invited to the combine uh, was he probably not i don't I, I keep thinking he wasn't he may have been but i keep thinking he was a snub cause I, I think i think he was on my snub list for that year but once again i'm not looking at anything i'm just going off my memory i remember liking him but yes you're right the size thing that was a big thing cuz some people were saying can he be an outside linebacker Cause, you know can he put on weight and people brought up guys like um uh, well, Fred Dean. Even I remember somebody invoking the name of Fred Dean, who you know played at about two hundred and thirty-seven pounds. Now, admittedly, that was in a slightly different era. Uh, you know, Fred Dean retired in like eighty-three or something, or eighty-four, uh, sometime in the in the in the early to mid nineteen-eighties. But uh, we've seen, and even especially now, I mean, there's a place for the undersized, you know, uh, pass rusher as long as he's not. Teeny tiny. If you have a plan,
1: and if you have a plan, you know if you have a plan for them, and they're a tough sob, I don't see any reason why not to use them. Offensive tackles that are slow can't deal with them. We've seen it consistently, you know. So big Beasley, etc. That if you have a guy like that, that's like with Son Reddick. You know, we've had all this talk of turning him into, you know, pursuit linebacker. I'm like, why? You know, because. We've seen his ability to rush the pads or I don't know. But, like, the NFL just gets w- weird with these guys is all I'm trying to say. They tend to forget what the thresholds are. Even people that used to work for the NFL are surprised at the thresholds, Bill. So that, that tells you something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he Cameron Wake was very Porter-esque, I guess, is the best way to put it. So And, and then he went to Canada and, again, took much steroids and then <laughs> came to the NFL.
2: Okay,
0: well, I can What's neither saying? confirm nor deny what
1: Mr. We can't Wake
2: confirm or deny. Or
1: this I'm is not- totally <laughs> speculation, you know. But I'm just saying, for a man like that in his 30s in the NFL, keep being that productive, very high chance of you know, entering the NFL at 27. And, again, people bring him up again. And, again, it's a very unique case. Cameron Wake is a very unique... A very unique person anyways. You know, he is the his.
0: outlier. When people say, well, what about the
1: outliers? Th- there's one. There's one. So if you have a pass rusher who goes to the CFL, takes a bunch of steroids, and then comes in and becomes a really great player. Allegedly. He got one. I'm just, say- I'm just saying. Now, another thing that people might say is, well, if it's that easy, why doesn't everybody? I'm like, it, it, it's not easy.
2: No, yeah. it's like, not. Like, I'm
1: not saying he didn't earn it. He definitely earned it, but I'm just saying, you know, there there must have been some help. <laughs> allegedly, but, <you> know, allegedly has <laughs> as, as all.
2: Sure.
0: So so okay, let's since you've started talking so much about Cameron Wake, if you were stacking the board, if you were telling someone here's the guys we have to watch for our franchise for the upcoming class, let's stick with the pass rushers. Who were the ones that would be the good investment of your time and energy as a franchise, and it sort of give me an idea of in which order. Obviously, very early on, you'd probably have them.
1: Oh, man, Sedge class classes giving me headaches. Um, you know, I think it's I don't know the word to use. There is some intriguing things. Colonel McFee like things, right? Bradley Chubb on film looks very Pernal McPhee-ish to me as that sort of that beta pass rusher type, you know, the number two pass rusher kind of guy. Um, And based on his production, I mean, he hits pretty much the Pro Bowl level stuff, has a decent speed score. Uh, The guy that people are super, super high, I didn't realize how high people were on him, is Harold Landry from Boston College. Um, He hits the bare minimum of everything production-wise, bare minimum. Uh, but there are some questions in terms of just how athletic he is. Uh, Joe Ostman from Central Michigan, who's still here. He, he had pretty decent production marks. Uh, Akeem Colm, uh, Col, uh, Coleman, excuse me, from Idaho, is uh, another guy that people don't really talk about at all. Porter Gustin from ESC, is sort of a, I mean, he's not Joey Porter, but he's in that sort of, like we were talking about, that kind of pass rusher, he's undersized kind of thing-ish uh, sort of guy. Oak Bonia uh, from Oklahoma is another one of those kind of wishy-washy pass rusher types. <laughs> Dylan <laughs> Robinson. Oh, what are you saying? You said wishy-washy, but yes, continue. Well, I mean, he's six foot, two hundred forty-two pounds. Right. You know, at least that's what he's, and he's an Oklahoma pass rusher. I mean, when was the last? I mean, yeah, Charles Tapper, but of course that died. you know. Um, yes. Well, right. <laughs> I was. I was I'm a big sorry, Tapper
0: that. fan at one point, as you know. I
1: mean, we all were. We all were a big fan of Tapper. It was like, wow, a Oklahoma pass rusher—that's actually good. What's <laughs> going to happen? And then the yeah, minute. Taken out to the back and put out his knee. Um, but yeah, Ogbani is kind of like Gillen Robinson from Purdue. You might like, he's a wrestler, he's a wrestler in high school. Yeah, I, I do um, like him. There's a lot, so to, to me, there's there. a lot to like there. Yeah. Uh, Duke of Uh the prince himself is there. Uh, Malik Reed from Nevada is another guy who had decent tour of production. Dorrance Armstrong, Jr. from Kansas. Yes, there we go. Based on paper, him and Art and Key are, like, identical.
2: Except
0: like like, one, one is a guy that people love, and one's a guy that people go, who? <laughs>
2: <That's>
1: yeah, <easy. laughs> exactly. Um, which which kind of gets into the sort of the 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 question mark, guys. Like, Marcus Haynes is 6'2", 225 pounds, Uh, he's he's also... I hear he's up to, like, like 229. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess he ate a couple (laughs) of cheeses, I guess. I don't know. Um, At least it was natural. Uh, And then... But he's also... He's going to be 24.38 on draft day. So, he's... People might... Like, I've heard some people say, oh, he's the Hassan Reddick on this fight. He's not exactly Mm -hmm. Hassan Reddick. Uh, uh, for several
2: reasons.
1: Yeah, but he's a guy that I've seen like ranked in the first round and stuff like that. I don't really think he's that type of guy. I mean, nope. he he has okay production, uh, but his age and his other sort of stuff kind of takes him out of high quality outcomes. Like that's the best way to put it. He could end up being a starter, but high quality outcomes, which is what you want, top twenty, you know, is not exactly in in the cards. Um, Arden Key is I don't want to say Randy Gregory and I did take some beat from uh, you know from calling out Miles Garrett based on freshman film because he was very small in he, he's very well developed for a freshman but he definitely was a little lighter he was light he... but I, I don't think he was ever
0: as light when he was not in college I don't think he was ever as light as Randy Gregory I mean I, I'm convinced that even what Randy Gregory's
1: heaviest got up to what two forty two? Yeah. Well, he was two hundred thirty five. Yeah, two thirty five at the combine.
0: Right. Then he got at the up combine. to two
1: forty two at his pro day, and the people yeah. were going, "See, see," and <laughs> I was just saying, "He's ten pounds away from being ten pounds away." Like, what are you talking about, guys? Right. Exactly. Like,
2: yeah.
1: like it was just such a weird thing. And I'm just saying this because what he's reported, and again, this is the reports right now. NFL draft scout Arden Key is six five, two hundred thirty eight pounds, with a four seven four forty. That four seven four forty would be incredible if he was two hundred fifty eight pounds. Right. But he's but he's two hundred thirty eight, not two hundred fifty eight. So, and I got no problems with Arden Key, although there is a lot of weird things that are happening right now, you know, shoot with him. Um, but uh, but he's a guy that just – his production profile doesn't really hit the Bosa or Miles Garrett-level stuff. And then you have this initial reporting of him being Randy Gregory Waite. So, you know, I don't know. So, so, yeah, that sort of thing. Of course, Josh Sweat is more high school than anything, really. A lot of
0: expectation. Um, Not a
1: lot has happened yet. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Same thing with Chad Thomas from Miami. He has a decent height. He's you know, he's he's listed at six five, two sixty five with the four seven six forty. His production is below average across the board. And then the same thing goes with Sam Hubbard, who's basically identical. Six four, two sixty five at the four seven six, but he's even less productive than Chad Thomas. So that's the edge class. Like it's uh it's lots of guys that only you and me are probably familiar with. I was you know, going like, to ask,
0: have you checked out Javon Roland Jones at Arkansas State at all? Arkansas State.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His production's a little iffy. Tell me what you mean by that. Solo tackle-wise. Well, solo oh, okay, tackle market okay, share okay. production okay. 33.83 out of 100, uh, uh, which is uh, not amazing. He could improve it this year. He's kind of a sleeper, you know. I just said the sleepers were the guys with the with good speed scores, at least initially reported because, you know, apparently, you know, speed scores get you money, I guess. But um but yeah, that's really what it is. I mean there's uh Denzel Ware, you know, from Kentucky's another guy who might get some stuff. But overall, like I said, there's not a lot of Joey Bosa or Miles Garrett or Clowney no. or any of that stuff. No, no, I agree. Coming in,
0: and if you're a big and fan of of you know miniature, I mean, people talk about you know Marcus Haynes. If you're a big fan of miniature pass rushers, if you want to you know find someone who's tiny but really really productive, what about Anthony Wimbush, uh, Ball State? He's 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 not big. Uh, he's he's very very small. In fact, I mean as I don't. I don't know. He might not be any smaller than Haynes, or at least not much smaller. If you haven't watched him, uh, I'd ask you to check him out. Number ninety-eight.
1: Um, yeah, I have him. Um, he has some um, similar production problems in terms it. of uh, solo tackle market share.
0: Ah, which where 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 is production. he in terms of that? Thirty-five point oh. Well, that's no, not hungry. Okay, <laughs> that's not Okay, that's not what you want. That's it's not...
1: usually indicative of a backup. A lot of times, these pass rusher types that they'll have good sack market share, good TFL market share, but they have below average um, solo tackle stuff uh. for whatever reason. But he could improve it. You know, like that's always like like all these guys. They could improve. True. Maybe. You know. So. I'm not like I'm not saying Sam Hubbard is you know, like doomed to be horrible. I'm just saying that Joey Bosa did things as a sophomore that Sam Hubbard only dreamed about doing. You know. But it it's this all over Sam Hubbard, you know, I guess it's the Bosa effect. Like he's the next Bosa. No, he's not. You know, like it's it's just not really there. So but, uh, but yeah, this is another class. That I think there's going to be, there's going to need to be some things happening this year, like a guy coming out of nowhere, that sort of thing.
0: Okay, gotcha. And moving on to the traditional linebackers, four-three linebackers, interior linebackers, and you know, outside linebackers that are not playing as primary pass rushers. What do you see there? is it should is there cause for concern is there cause for possible celebration uh, what do you what do you see there
1: I mean I think it's going to be like last class to a certain extent if Malik Jefferson if the if the light turns on for him and he becomes a Ray Lewis like producer which is very unlikely but if that were to happen that'd be really good um Hasn't happened, of course. Uh, Micah Kaiser, Jordan Jones, Jack Cicci, uh even Kenny Young from UCLA. All those guys have fairly decent production profiles. Their speed scores are not exactly elite, but I think it'll be sort of a linebacker class that has a lot of guys that can become starters, but nobody that people will really covet that much kind of like this class like there was good line there was decent linebackers in this class it's just people didn't really covet them that much which is why they fell to like day two day three sort of area
3: gotcha and
0: safeties uh I, i obviously like to talk about safeties we had a really good safety class last year what do you think is coming down the pike in terms
3: of the upcoming group
1: Well, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick is not going to be a safety, but his production at safety was pretty decent for a free safety type. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quinn Blanding has decent production, but there are questions. At least I have questions about flexibility and stuff like that. Uh,
0: Marcus, is that, App, is that based off tape, or have you heard things about his just testing? based
1: on just based on tape? Not really based on. What I've heard or anything, but just tape wise, I just think he's kind of stiffish, you know, to a certain extent. Um, Ronnie Harrison has some decent production marks from Alabama. Marcus Epps, like I said, has some pretty decent production marks. Godwin Egg Wee Book, I think. Okay. From Northwestern, the Northwestern line uh, safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. He has some uh positive sort of things. I think the I think Javon Hagen from Ohio. His issue really is really just solo jack of market share. It's really low. But he has good interception and uh has market share. Connery Swift too is also kinda up there too.
3: Um, hmm.
1: but I mean it's At least as a safety class, and, of course, Derwin James, too. But like, I think it's a decent safety class. I think there's going to be some – I think there might be, like, two safeties that could end up being first-rounders, possibly, you know, like Derwin James. Uh, But I don't really think there's, like, a number two guy, just based on initial guys coming out. So, I mean, we'll have to see. But – because, like, I don't think Marcus F is going to be a a first-round safety because he played at Wyoming. Um, or even uh, I think there's
3: another guy.
1: I think Hagen is that other guy that I heard stuff with, but he's not exactly a first rounder. But, but I think it's it's not going to be as good as this last safety class. I'll just say that much. At least right. on paper, right now, it doesn't it doesn't really look like that.
0: Okay, and that brings us to, of course, the corner class, where I've already seen a fair amount of writing and jockey well say jockeying for position, but you know, people discussing who they think has the best chance to, you know, be a first rounder and all that good stuff. Uh what are you seeing, what are you hearing, and what makes sense based on the work you do amongst the corners?
3: Right. Well
1: I mean it's okay. Um there, there, I mean, there are a couple guys. There's a lot of projection guys, though. Um, because if I were to say, hey, uh, Jalen Dunlap is pretty good, people go, Jalen who? You know, or Chris Jones from Nebraska, and people go, Chris, Chris who? You know, so, like, there is definitely a lot of um, productive corners, but there's not exactly a lot of guys who kind of hit the sort of threshold you want of like special special guys yet um and i know people make the excuse of well people didn't throw at them because you know they were so good like they were so good as a cornerback that that quarterbacks stopped throwing at them but i just don't really buy into that logic i mean i can definitely see production probably dropping you know a year after breakout year but all the great corners had at least one breakout year so um, and unfortunately, there's not exactly a ton of guys who hit all the sort of speed stuff with the production stuff. But that definitely is something that could change this year um, if if it happens, I guess.
3: Right. I don't know if you separate in your rankings the quote-unquote nickel types from the
0: true corners, real corners, outside corners, whatever the term you want to use. Are there any um, guys amongst the sort of, you know, whether it be smaller or whatever reason suited to playing the slot? Have you seen any guys that you thought, okay, this guy, even though he might not be playing, you know, in a, I mean, once again, I mean, they're essentially starters nowadays, more, you're both at the collegiate and the NFL level. You're, you've got three corners on the
3: field more often than you don't. Right.
1: Um, not really. I mean, the slot, I mean, the basic slot is more about, uh, you know, production, but, but also sort of physical characteristics, like uh, short shell three cone, uh, stuff like that. So, usually great slot corners, the best slot corners have been guys that had really good short shell three cones and had good production profiles. But there wasn't like a unique thing about them. You know, there wasn't like a specific trait, you know, they just happened to be like like anything, in my opinion, great slot corners, if they played regular corner, they would still be good, you know. Okay. Um it's just that they happen to play slot, you know, so which happens a lot. People just kind of assume things based on you know, recency stuff, but I would say there's not like a specific thing, it's just more physical characteristic kind of stuff when it comes to slot guys.
3: Okay. Got it. Okay, so as far as you know,
0: <laughs> it sounds like we, the there's not a lot of super reason to get excited on the defensive side of the ball outside of a few sort of, I mean, Derwin James, uh, a few maybe sort of potentially special guys Maybe if someone raises the level of their play either as a pass rusher or defensive tackle, sounds like you're not super jazzed about the defense so far
1: at least. Well I like the defensive tackle I mean the defensive tackle class I think might be the deepest possibly. Okay. Um, I got it. You know, because you know, Harrison Phillips is kinda in there, Steven Richardson kinda in there, Christian Wilkins um has some kind of decent stuff. Trenton Thompson is very, uh, what's the term I'm looking for Mont Adams ish, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Mont Adams at least was kind of, he could do some things good. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say the defensive class isn't like the last class of defensive players, but I do think that there definitely are a couple guys that could stick out and, and kind of get into that late first for area. Um, and a couple of guys that might even be top 10 guys like Derwin James, you know, guys like that. But it's not exactly as strong as last year's class, unless somebody breaks out. Like, unless there's a Solomon Thomas somewhere that's just hanging out, you know, that hasn't really broke out yet. But I kind of doubt that, sort of.
3: Got it. So, once again... <laughs> it still sounds like outside the... Okay, so the defensive tackle
0: class, Derwin James, (laughs) Uh, possibly one of the pass rusher types breaks out. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, if Malik Jefferson has a Jalen Smith-esque season, you know, um, then this would be a pretty good defensive class. If Malik Jefferson doesn't have that type of season, then it's kind of a, you know, class. Like, basically, it's not going to be as good of a defensive class as this class. I think when people look back at this defensive class, they'll be very um, kind of kicking themselves over the guys that they missed on, I guess, in, in this last defensive class because, you know, this is a, fair, a fairly deep class at all positions really, except for linebacker, of course, and defensive tackle, but um, but yeah, this next class I don't really think is going to be as deep on the defensive line as some people think.
3: Okay. Alrighty. <laughs> so
0: now, obviously, you don't do a lot of place kickers and punters, at least not yet.
1: I'm assuming. Well, yeah, I'm I'm working on it, but. You know, I don't. I, I have to find that other variable. I mean, as, as any as the, the the number one quest, or at least the motto for data people should be another variable, you know, another one. Because I do have all the production stuff for them. I just don't have anything to kind of narrow the list down and until I get that number. Like, I don't really have that or uh, Right, right, <laughs> right. Vertical. I do have that number. I don't point. have athleticism data for punters and kickers. They don't do it you know, um, some of them do, but it's like one or two every year. or So in some cases, not at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, all I have is kind of production stuff, which is helpful, but it's not exactly as helpful unless you add another variable to the mix. So I don't really think looks might show anything, but that adds anything in life. The funny, the funny thing about variables is it's like with running backs at arm length, you know, I kind of just, my own bias is like, come on, you're not going to find anything with arm length. And then you do it, and you go, oh, I guess there is something here. So, you know, I'll, I guess I'll have to test variables that I didn't even think of testing, I guess. But, um, but yeah, kickers and punters, I just have production stuff, which is not that
0: reliable,
1: you know. Right. Um, above average is good, but it's just there's nothing to kind of, you know, whittle it down to, to certain guys and stuff like that, so.
3: Hey okay, Ben. And from what
0: you have seen, if you were talking about the guys with the greatest chance to be maybe superstar is too strong a word, because there may not be somebody who legitimately has a chance to be a superstar. But if you're talking about the guys that you have the best chance to be top flight, maybe someday top ten in the NFL type players at their position, and you were sort of naming the ones that you think have the best chance based on the work you've done thus far. Regardless of position, who would be the guys you think have the best chance to one day be top 10 types
3: in the NFL? Top 10 types.
1: Saquon Barkley is definitely one of those guys. Uh, Darius Geis. You know, the the guys train. Um, quarterback-wise, it's like a lot of guys, but I, I would say Darnold and, huh, and I'll go, you know, I'll go with Baker Mayfield. I was very surprised with, uh, his, uh, his film. Um, but yeah, I want to go with him. Uh, James Washington is another guy I think has a good chance to be a potential top 10 sort of wide receiver at the next level. Um, Derwin James, I think, has the potential to be a top ten safety. Uh, Malik Jefferson has the potential to be a top ten linebacker if he breaks out this year. But that's kind of the only sort of you know, question mark. And then Harrison Phillips, I think, based on the film stuff I've seen of him and you know production stuff, I think has the potential to be a uh, a very um, who's that one guy. But, like, I I do think he had sort of a good chance of becoming a, a fairly decent defense tackle at the next level.
3: Okay. So, looking at your, you know, watch list or whatever it is, and I don't know,
0: you know, how much you look at some of the guys like, you know, P.J. Hall at Sam Houston State. Obviously, you know, we're talking about guys who aren't, you know, even FBS, let alone Power 5. When do you – and I know you started paying more attention to the strength of schedule, but when do you start your work on the guys who aren't sort of the the usual suspects? How
3: far into the process does that happen? Like probably next week. Oh, um, okay.
1: So not too far off. <laughs> not too far off. I mean, I, I have a couple other positions I need to finish up and then, uh, then get into the small school guys. Um, as anything, the only, the only issue I have with small school guys is the, the I don't care factor, you know. <laughs> okay. Not that those, I don't I, for I care. For those who aren't familiar with what you mean by that, could you explain? I care. It's just nobody else cares, you know. Like, if all I did was, uh, I don't know, popularity. I don't know how else to put it. Like, if I was to talk about the Division two, II, Division three guys, or FCS guys even, you know, I would have you... Tyrant scouting, and maybe a couple other guys giving me an attaboy, boy, but everybody else would right. do Joe Schanefeld, like, uh, yeah. David West. Yeah, it's a short list. Yeah, you a could name list. them all
0: pretty easily the all. <laughs>
1: you could name them on one hand, you know, in terms of that. So, and it's not to say that I, I, I don't, you know, invest some time into it. I always, do. you know, Javon Hargrave was a guy that, you know, being yeah. familiar with him early oh. was was. pretty good thing you know Um, oh god God. it's just it's just such a you know because the nfl evaluates you you get into you get into a literal like you get into a situation where politics becomes more important at that at that level of scouting um and i only i only mean that because you know if you're an fbs guy you could be terrible at alabama but they'll give you a shot (laughs) right um which,
0: which has happened a, many times, actually.
1: It happens a lot. Remember,
0: they had a five technique. Oh, Remember Brandon Dedrick? How people yeah. start to try to get themselves excited about him? It's like, he's just taking up room. If this guy were at Stillman, if he were at Stillman, and I was trying to sell you on him, you would be mad at me. It's the only reason people had any interest in Brandon Dedrick was
1: Alabama. yeah. But when you have an FCS guy, I mean, the main thing I want to clean up is I just want to, because the one thing I haven't done yet is expand the, uh, the production data profiles for FCS all stuff. And the only reason I haven't done it is just because one, doing, doing that data work is very tedious, very time consuming. Um, And again, it's a lot of work for attaboy from like four people. (laughs) It's, what I'm saying is, is I, I do do it. It's just after I do it, I feel like, wow, I did a lot of work for players that the NFL may not even give a shot to. Because um, I do – I am a firm believer that the production – as I've already shown with wide receivers, like the at least the my best statistical model for FCS guys is that wide receiver. Uh, and I feel pretty proud about it because, you know, in terms of all the guys in that, in that sort of FCS whole stuff. I do want to expand it to other positions because I think I think the big issue the NFL has is that they don't look at that. So they don't look at production stuff. They usually just look at physical characteristics, and then they wonder why they keep missing at that level of competition, you know. Um, and I think if you actually, you know, like in terms of valuations, right, because, like, every single year we have these FCS-level guys and the guys that get attention, like defensive linemen, right, you know, yeah. we'll, the 6'5 the guys will get all the attention. Yes. But what if they aren't productive? You know, if the 6'5 guy isn't as productive as Jared Allen was productive uh, or Junior Gillette was productive, then why do you care about him being 6'5"? You know, like that's just my general feeling. You know, I think there's a lot of guys at that level that are good football players that could be really good NFL players, yeah. But they just never get opportunity because they don't fit the mold. You shouldn't be going down to that level of competition looking for guys that fit the mold. You should be looking for guys that fit the mold on paper and then seeing what happens. You know, like there's there are lots of Marcus Golden like guys at that level of competition. It's just that they don't look for those guys. They don't give those guys opportunities, and then as a result, Marcus Golden is like the only guy hanging out doing this thing because he played in Missouri. If Marcus Golden played at You know, some like Texas Southern or something like that, or the SWAC, he probably wouldn't be in the NFL right now. Right. You know, because he's, you know, he he played at a level competition. So, yeah, but that's the other thing I was going to do is just get into the the production sort of thresholds there because the the thresholds exist there. It's just, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of time into high fives from like three people. You know, but it's it's just that type of thing. Uh, or people that just can't watch your tape. That's and you can watch your tape. It's just, it, I do understand it's hard to find tape for that level, but um, but it, it's there. It's just you
3: have to do a little bit more searching, I guess. Let me throw a name.
0: So when everybody was. Getting excited about Julian Davenport. We all started watching Bucknell. I didn't think Julian da- Davenport was even the best prospect on Bucknell's team. They have a defensive tackle named Abdullah Anderson that impressed me far more than Julian Davenport did.
3: I don't know if you've a chance to check him out yet, but I would highly recommend that you do so. He's probably maybe 6'3 and an 8th, 6'3 and a quarter,
0: right around 6'3, maybe slightly over. Probably listed at 6'5 or something, but he's 6'3 and, you know, probably a little bit of change, about 298 pounds, a little shade under 300, probably, you know, somewhere in the upper 290s. He's not quite Javon Hargrave. He's not, not that, but he's good. When he plays low when he, you know, doesn't let his shoulders get turned. And for the most part, he's pretty good at that. Of course, now, admittedly, he's playing, you know, you mentioned Love Company, he's playing, though, the Lafayettes and the Marists and whatnot of the world. I get that, but they have nothing for him. I'll say that much. I mean, you can't find a bad tape, you know. You put on whatever Bucknell tape you want, put it on. He's going to have a pretty good game. I saw in terms of productive. I mean, not productive, well, but too. But in terms of consistency, I thought he was a more consistently impressive prospect than Julian Davenport was when I watched uh, Bucknell. Well,
1: yeah, I mean Davenport. I mean, people don't want me to say this, but he basically tested like a less athletic Michael Moore, You know, um, he has size profile stuff, but again, that's the problem with that level of competition: is people go. Hey, he's 6'5, six, 6'6, six, six, 300 pounds, so he must be the top prospect. When that's just not how you should think of it, you know, that's not how you should, you know, that's not how you should uh, evaluate FBS guys, so why are you doing it at the FCS level? You know, like that's yeah, just kind of my feeling, uh, yeah. you know. Right.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I always. And so when these guys get quote unquote discovered, you know, whatever somebody sees them at East West Shrine or whatever it is, you know, pick a a bowl game and they decide to get all all excited about a guy, it sort of flies in the face of even if you were those traits or just watch the tape or whatever it is, if you actually did so, you would find there's other guys. You know, well, yeah,
1: and I mean, just quite frankly, it does ruffle my feathers a bit when you have a guy that gets invited to these all-star events and their production isn't really that great. And then you find out that, oh, they played at Tennessee at one point and then transferred down, you know. So then you go, I see what you did here, at NFL. I see what you did. You know, <laughs> like you're just – you're just inviting guys that played at lower level division because, well, at one point the FBS was interested in him. Like that's the only reason why he invited these guys. It's it's like with Jason Jason Carr being invited uh to the Shrine Gate, you know. Where on paper it was like Dylan Donahue was the guy. Even on film Dylan Donahue was the guy, but Jason Carr gets invited because to see at one point, you know. He was at Tennessee at one point. So disappointing. That's pretty much it. (laughs) So disappointing. And that's what I, and and it's it's just really bad because it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. If all you do is all day long going, well, we can't find very many good players at the SPS level, then it's like, well, do you see your methods? You know, if all you do is go after physical characteristics, that's what you're going to end up with. Ignoring the history of NFL, you know, in terms of physical characteristics, you know? Like, I'm a data guy. That doesn't mean that I, I want 6'5", 270-pound guys. Like, that's not my goal. My goal is to find productive football players that are athletic, and you don't need to be 6'5 to, to hit that, and you shouldn't expect to find that at that level of competition, you know. So, I don't know. Like, that that's my only other issue with just the FCS level is that I could scream at the mountaintops. You know, I was screaming at the mountaintops with Javon Hargrave. I mean, he just got lucky enough you know, to get invited to the Senior Bowl and stuff. If he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl, you know, who knows, you know, because the NFL doesn't like to admit it. But, you know, we talk about Kaepernick, you know, being blackballed by the NFL. What about all these FCS guys, (laughs) blackballed by the NFL, just because they played at that level of competition, you know, they get tryouts, which is an insult, too, because they're not even tryouts, they're just, Hey, we like you. Do something amazing or we're gonna cut you. You know. You have, do, <laughs> you have to do something that, you know, we don't think you're very good, so you gotta do something. Here, let me give you five reps. Do something amazing <laughs> on these five reps. Five reps, that's it. Yep. Prove it. You know. Now the guy that isn't very good from a FBS school will give him a hundred reps, but you will give you five show us something in five reps. It's, it's just nuts. It's yeah, crazy. I, I know. Oh,
0: God. Well, I guess there is some, you know, good news to be had, at <laughs> least so, Uh, from what you've told us. I mean, obviously not every position is going to be chock-a-block with talent, but those who, you know, like I said, sort of
3: felt, down at heart about the defensive tackle class, you know there's that, and uh let's see defensive
1: tackle
0: so there's yeah, and of course, obviously, like I said they people always whine about quarterbacks, so there's that you know people can get excited and happy about the the current state of that.
4: Okay. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's going to be a good quarterback. I mean, I don't normally say this, and when I say this, you can. It's not like a. It's not like the typical evergreen tweet or saying of well, the next class is going to be good. <laughs> Based on paper, the next class looks appears to be better. So, I mean, there's actually some substance to what I'm saying. I'm not just saying that just because. I'm just saying I'm I'm just saying based on data there there's things that are better about the quarterback class than, than this previous one. Which I think people would agree with if you've seen Josh Dobbs I'm, at least Josh Josh Dobbs is gone, so Yes. And Mitch Leidner is gone. Oh so that that's over. Oh so whatever be- started that
0: oh. and Bethard, you know there are people trying to sell me on Bethard. Uh so Give me amongst – it could be one of the guys you've already named, or it could be a guy you haven't named, but give me a guy who has a legitimate shot of being a first-rounder that most people either don't yet, you know, see as that kind of player or or maybe, like I said, he not uh, be a player that people are pretty aware of, but, you know, for whatever reason, they, they're they not yet projecting him that high. Who has the best chance Right. Yeah. Of getting to that well, point that isn't seen that way,
1: right? Well, first off, I would say Harrison Phillips. Um, and I'm not just blowing smoke up people. He is—he's very good film, um, on top of at least what was initially reported, decent af- athleticism short trades. So he—he's a guy I expect as a late first kind of guy, um, if you will, from Stanford. Like he—he's one of those guys that I think. And I'm surprised nobody even has him or talks. I don't know. It's just weird. (laughs) Um, So, like, he's one guy that's like that. Uh, Brian, well, guards. I shouldn't say guards because guards, it's really tough for guards to be drafted in the first round. But Brian Allen would be a guy I wouldn't be surprised about if he tests the way I think he's going to test as an athlete. Um, Who else is, like, a surprise
3: guy? Hmm.
2: I really think that's about
1: it. I mean, based on the stuff I know now, uh, I would say the one big surprise guy would just be Harrison. Okay. Yeah.
3: Got it. Okay. I could see that. Uh,
0: once again, like not with maybe not with everybody, but with many people, I uh, I certainly discovered him almost entirely because of Solomon Thomas, and noticed that hey, there's some stuff there to this kid, and I'll have to pay attention to him, you know, much more this year.
1: Yeah, and I mean I don't, and again I don't see him as like a top ten guy, but I I do see him as like a late first kind of value guy, you know, in terms of the picks. Um, but yeah, but he, he's definitely one of those guys that kind of like that. There's other guys that are sleepers, but again, they're sleepers, you know, like Andrew Brown from Virginia, you know, for example,
4: he's yeah. really
1: fun to watch. It'd be cool if he was a first rounder. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. <laughs> but, Probably not. But he's definitely a fun player. Um, but I wouldn't exactly bet the farm on him being a first rounder. So in terms of the guy that had, that nobody really talks about. Um, yeah, And I, I don't really think there's some surprise QBs either that uh, – I think there's going to be more QBs that people are surprised end up being day two, really,
2: um,
1: <laughs> with how the with how the NFL usually does their business. So.
3: Okay, got it. And
0: I guess the last thing, you know, It's impossible not to hit upon this. uh, Who are the guys that people are sort of beginning to, uh, you know, hype up a little bit as possible? First rounders who you think are most likely
3: not to be? Hmm. Well,
1: I can – let me – actually, let me – I can – this is pretty easy. So let me just pull up a recent mock draft. Well, first of all, Juron Payne, you know, which I think I already mentioned before, but Juron Payne is a pain in terms of production. You know, um, it just isn't there. His projected speed score is 5.38, which is not all pro or Pro Bowl level. You know, and then I get people that go, "Well, there must be some holes in this logic." Well, no, no there's not. Like there hasn't been a guy like that. Uh, Josh Allen. I mean, right, actually from this Walter football, they have Josh Allen going to the Jets. If Oh, God, the poor <laughs> Jets cannot get a break. If I was Jeff, <laughs> I would be Oh, my God. You know, I would be joining the NRA and, you know, preparing, you know, prepping um, if that were to happen, because that's just bad. Uh, the Jets are bad at quarterback evaluation, but I mean, and again, Josh Allen. But this—this this is my whole issue with Josh Allen. It's not to say that he couldn't be a Brett Favre-esque kind of guy, but or Cutler-esque, yeah, or Cutler-esque. But when you, he hasn't even hit Cutler's production, you know, yet he hasn't even hit Brett Favre's production. Like his complete TV stats score is twenty-five point uh, nine nine out of hundred. And since 1958, there hasn't been a long-term starter with that type of production. So that's where he's hanging out right now. You know, he's not even in the starter area, and that's how bad his quarterback efficiency is. Uh, so that's not a good place to start. You know, um, but yeah, he, hes a guy that I—I I just don't get. I mean, I understand that if you go to gifts and you see him running and throwing down the field and stuff like that, is great. There's also of him running and then throwing into triple coverage. Yeah. Obvious triple Sometimes coverage. Sometimes
0: on literally the next play.
1: Yeah. And I just don't get, I just don't get it. You know, I, I don't know. If, like, his high school production doesn't really hit high-quality outcomes. And his college production, like I said, is really, really low. Uh, so I would be very surprised. Like And besides that, I'm already putting my chips on Patrick Mahomes being that Brett Favre guy. So you can't have two of those types of guys back-to-back, right? Like that's that just the chances of one guy happen, one Brett Favre happening is, you know, one in about 50 guys, right? But two Brett Favre guys back-to-back is even less likely. So I would just say that that's my sort of issue in terms of that. Arden Key, I think it's a little overrated just because of initial sort of, you know, stuff. And Lamar Jackson, man, I – and keep in mind, you know, I I understand the sort of running quarterback love of him, you know. Like, he, he's definitely a fun guy to watch in terms of running and stuff like that. But I don't know where this whole he's an amazing passer comes from because – He's not exactly the most accurate guy. No. His intermediate passes are kind of, yeah. His decision-making is kind of, yeah. And he's another guy that, based on his production, is below average. And he started out significantly below average. And now he's up to about average. So he improved, but think about it like this. Like, he drastically improved himself, but he's still at average. Even after all that improvement, he's still average as a passer. And he hasn't even hit Michael Vick, because Michael Vick's uh, production score was 76 out of 100, and Lamar Jackson was about 48 out of 100. So wow. he doesn't even compare to Michael Vick as a passer, who admittedly had some, you know, some issues as a passer. Wasn't really as polished as a passer so, uh, right. coming out. So that's that that's that perspective of Lamar on top of coming out of high school was just a complete utter pro like it's amazing that he's even at average based on his high school production. You know, it's amazing. So and I again I like Lamar Jackson, but I don't like him like that. You know, like this is <laughs> this is a very and he's a top and Jacksonville Jaguar's taking him. So oh, you know oh. on this particular on this particular mock. Uh, another guy, Mike uh, McGlinkey from Notre Dame. Uh, Mike uh, Kalilki, as I like to call him, because he just isn't very explosive. He isn't very fast. <sighs> they haven't gone to the Bengals too. They already have a guy. Jake Fisher, is there already? Walter football. They don't need a tackle. Jake Fisher's there, but um, but yeah, Mike McGlinky is another guy I just don't get. It's kind of Notre Damey. Here's my question: We
0: er, people fell out of love with Conor Mcdermott after watching him basically get pantsed back right. when, 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 when he faced a healthy Miles Garrett. Yeah, and obviously we did not get to see the same sort of spectacle with Mike Glinsky because he just didn't, you know, have the opportunity to get pantsed by yeah. a healthy Miles Garrett. But in what – is in, is he in superior in some way to Colin McDermott? I mean, they both obviously have great Irish names, but is he in some way better than him? I don't think so. Okay.
1: I mean, based on the film I saw, I don't really think so. I mean, Conor McDermott's only issue that – I mean, it's like anything else. I, I don't like to do the whole scouting of, well, this guy did well against this guy, and this guy didn't do well against this guy, and right. a guy I really like didn't do well against him, so he's amazing. I'm not really into that type of scouting. Right. Some people do. Could lead but you down saying, some pretty dangerous paths. <laughs> yeah. I would say with Mike McGlinkey, you should see what Bradley Chubb did to him. Oh, right. Yeah. Good point. I did see that, actually. And even Malik McDowell, who, you know, is Malik McDowell. Like, that's who we're talking about.
0: Right. A guy is who is part of the, how some people justify their love of Malik McDowell,
1: in fact. A guy who didn't test explosives ran about a four eight forty and, and McGlinky got beat on the edge against him. Yes. Which goes back to people saying offensive tackle forty times don't matter. Tell that to Joe Thomas, tell that to Andre Whitworth, tell that to all all those guys had good forties. Well, basically all the great tackles throughout history. <laughs> Walter mean, Jones had a great forty, Jason yes. Peters had a great forty. Yes. Don't tell me that you don't know what you're doing, you know, you have to look at the technique, you have to look at the, like, okay, fine. You know, I'm, not, I'm never going to be an expert in the technical aspects of the position, but what I can tell you is all the great offensive tackles ran this fast good. or this fast. Right. You can't really tell me that was your little technique. So, I,
3: I. Well, also, I
0: mean, Luke Jokel had really good technique, but. Yeah, he did too.
1: <laughs> And you know that might be Mike comp you know that might be his comp is, is Luke Jokel. He's another guy that, you know, was was slow. Uh, Luke Jokel had more of a guard profile than a tackle. I mean, he was kind of below average. Didn't really hit Pro Bowl speed uh, for his size. Uh, was not very explosive. Was very flexible though. But that's more guardy. I mean, whenever a guy is flexible, it kind of speaks to uh, leverage, you know, being able to out- leverage people when you're flexible. Um, but McGlinky I don't even think he's going to test very flexible. So, like,
2: I just don't oh, like McGlinky. that's
1: not good. <laughs> so,
0: other than being slow, probably not super strong, and not very flexible, other than that, he's awesome is what yeah, like to say. Yeah,
1: but he's not a top-ten pick, which is what this mock draft has him as. I went to the uh, wrong mock draft, apparently. But this is the Washington <laughs> Football Mock Draft. Oh, so,
2: uh, that's Charlie
0: so Campbell's handiwork, Campbell then, most likely.
1: Yeah. So far, yeah. I have two quarterbacks, actually. So, like, they start out with Sam Darnold, good choice, you know. But then they get Josh Allen and they get Lamar Jackson. Both those guys had below-average complete QB sets, course, on right. top of high school production that didn't really hit the mark. Uh, oh, and I'm right. probably going to do a couple of videos looking at. Previous draft classes, and maybe then people will believe me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's not that my stuff isn't already on my. You know, you just have to. You know, all the data is is on my blog. You know, you can confirm this. You don't have to, whatever. Um. So yeah. So there's that. And what else? Oh yeah, we got Calvin Ridley is going to the Bills. Why? Why would the Bills? First off, why would the Bills draft the wide receiver top ten? <laughs> In order to enrage their fan base. Because <laughs> that isn't the Bills' issue. No, sir. No, it is not. They got plenty of wide receivers. They do. They, they have drafted players. Zay Jones. They still got Sammy Watkins, yeah. who isn't a bust yet. But Odell Beckham Jr. would have been a fun, you know. <laughs> uh, yes. I, or mean, I thought Taylor I would have
0: enjoyed that. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I never got the whole – with that whole class, I, I was always amazed at the sort of, Jimmy Watkins is number one, hands down, number one. <laughs> really? <laughs> There's a lot of good wide receivers in this class. There like, really were. You know, that. I don't know why you would you know, do that. Uh, but, yeah, Calvin Ridley apparently is a the is number eight overall player. I, I don't see that. Um, wow. The other thing I did tell you about Calvin Ridley is we, we've talked about his age a lot. But the last time a 24-year-old wide receiver became a All-Pro player was with Marvin Harrison, and Marvin Harrison was a 90-plus percentile productive guy. Yeah. On top of ran really really like I don't think.
2: And elite is level run round runner runner also. Fat. Elite, not
1: yeah. good. Elite. Exactly, and Calvin Ridley is not that. No, he's a good player, but this whole he's the top wide receiver based on I guess played Alabama, you know. Like people compare him to Mari Cooper, yeah, to Mari Cooper, you know. So,
0: well, I I mean, the comparison to Mari Cooper begins and ends with Alabama, dude. That's there's no there's nothing
3: else to go off there.
1: Right. So that's uh, I just don't like that yeah, so that's another pick. Oh, and then we have number nine, Baltimore Ravens. They select Sam Hubbard, Wow. defensive end at a hot State. That hurts. <laughs> and they don't even really need him. They got a Ty Bowser. They got a Tim Williams who could Paul Kruger it up. You know, I could see Tim Williams being Paul Kruger, ish. Well, you know. in miniature. Miniature Paul Kruger, yeah. Um. Yeah, so they don't even need him. And then on top of that, like I said, production-wise, he's 30 percentile, 28 percentile, like below average in terms of everything. So that's just hmm, not good. Uh, Not good. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, we got New York Giants taking Connor Williams. Based on the data that I have, Connor Williams is 6'5", 320 pounds with a five-two-eight 40-yard dash. It doesn't exactly sound like Jason Peters. No, it does not sound like that.
0: I wonder how that compares to, oh, say, Eric Williams, though. I mean, Eric Flowers, not Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers.
1: Um, well, Eric Flowers is uh, – there wasn't a ton of data. The data that I got was leaked stuff, like top secret, like don't tell anybody this type stuff, and it wasn't that good. But um, There's my shot. I don't know, dude. and I've, I've not seen Connor Williams. My initial impression is that he's a good run blocker, which, as you know, Bill, if an offensive tackle is a decent run blocker, people go, so he's OT number one because of that run blocking prowess. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: right, because we're going to bring back the 1972 Dolphins and have 3,000 yard, 1,000 yard rushers.
1: <laughs> exactly. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but Connor Williams, I mean, I just told you, 6'5, 320 pounds, with a 5'2840. If that was what he actually tested as, you would tell me, can we put him inside? Right. I mean, that—that's what anybody, any logical person, who would see that height, see that weight, see that forty time, would want to put him inside. And
0: if r- he's a run that, blocker, he might be able to stay outside on the right side, maybe.
1: Yeah, on the right side, maybe. You know, and maybe he ends up being Mitchell Schwartz. You know, who is like the only like outlier. But he's not really even technically an outlier because he's never really had any recognition other than PFF stuff. So, like he's never like got an all-pro, multiple all-pro consideration and stuff like that for Mitchell Schwartz. Not offending the Swartz name, I'm just saying that the, the Schwartz is, you know, right. Just, I
0: mean Jeff and Mitchell yeah. Schwartz were both became solid NFL players. Uh, I think Mitchell Schwartz is above
1: average amongst the NFL right tackles. So that that could be Connor Williams. That's not exactly a top-16 pick, though.
0: (laughs) You're saying if Mitchell Schwartz could somehow reenter the draft, he wouldn't go in the top uh, half of the
1: first? No, probably not. Uh, That wouldn't be the, you know. And then we have some other. Jordan Whitehead is apparently a first-rounder as well from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm familiar with who Jordan Whitehead is. I'm not even sure
0: he was the best corner at. Pitt when I watched Pitt last year.
1: Yeah. I even from a film perspective, because I am familiar with this film, that just seems very high. More I mean I, I was yeah. on
0: I was on record saying I liked Breon Borders amongst A C C Corners, I had Breon Borders ranked above.
2: Georgia oh
1: my State. gosh. Well I <laughs> I did. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm am re- reacting to something on here. Oh. As Buffalo Bills twenty four take did you hear it, Stidham, quarterback wow. out of Auburn. That's a reach amongst reaches. And the funny thing about this, well, first of all, Jared Stidham doesn't have the high school production indicative of a high And he's a
0: Baylor quarterback, which the NFL loves, but he's a he Baylor it, quarterback yeah. who got the chance to start because of injury, no less.
1: And he's going to try to serve for quarterback in Sean White, who had an 89 complete TD stat score. Which doesn't mean that he is going to be a potential Hall of Fame player, but it does mean that he was very efficient in the SEC, which is something that I think you would want. I mean, he's not amazing, but he's not going to lose your football games either, right? So I don't get the Jared of I don't get. I don't get it. It's crazy. But apparently, yeah, i think some people
0: out. have him as their QB one. Uh, I'm not many, but a few. But well, most. Have. Have, but a lot of people have him in their top five. He's, most of but the time, why? he's around creepy 3 or creepy 4. I don't know. Why is he above Mike but White? Why? Why,
2: why is he are you above
0: even... – I get it. Why is he above Mike White? I don't know. Why is he above – there's a bunch of guys I could throw out there and ask. Why is he ranked above this guy? What has he done? So, what have he done for me lately? What has he done, you know? period? I mean, here's a guy who was a, a you know, a, a guy who started, as you said, because, due to injury at Baylor. And did he have some flash plays? I mean – he throws a pretty nice nine route. I, I'm not going to dispute that. He does. But if you – and once again, I'm not a huge Jake Browning fan, but I don't see how you'd rank him above Jake Browning based on what I've seen so far.
1: Exactly. Or Baker Mayfield or, you know, any number of, like, uh, Walter Football Kyle Valletta
0: right now has shown me more things on tape than Jarrett Stidham. No, I once again, oh I, yeah, I, I know definitely. And blah blah blah, but yeah,
1: I, I'm I'm with you. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter where he plays as much to me. I just Jarrett Stidham is not even QB twenty for me, you know, from my perspective. So right. the fact that you're going to project a guy in the first round right now, I have Rippen, who, I have Brett Rippin ahead of him so far. Right. And he doesn't even have the qualities of like the Cam Newton. Because at least Cam Newton, when he went to Auburn, had the high school production and also incredible physical traits. Yeah, you know, he just was just from high school coming in, so he had all that stuff going for him. And then he goes and has that one year. Jared Stidham just isn't that. So, and he has to beat Sean White, which maybe he already beat Sean White. I don't know. But again, I'm and I'm not saying Sean White is going to be amazing. I'm just saying that based on his production. It wasn't that bad, you know? Like, Alabama would love to have a Sean White, you know, as their quarterback. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, so, what else? Oh, we have Marcel Frazier as a late first-rounder to the Packers, who just seems to be the Missouri trend of just, hey, he was a pass rusher at Missouri, first-rounder. Boom, you know. Uh, And then the Raiders took Bo Scarborough at 30. And that's really bad. So that's Walter football. So 16 of those guys I just mentioned are guys who on paper don't have much of a shot to become you know, much of anything. So. Okay. So, yeah. So I guess those would be the guys that would be, you know, overrated. Fire guess. be <laughs> Yeah. So I get a lot of, I, I don't know, a lot of people go overrated. This guy isn't overrated. Or – for uh I don't know. But like I just compare overrated to like what other sites have ranked players as sure. I guess. So it it's really just about that. So like here's a oh here's a CBS one. Yeah, we got Josh Allen, top three. Wow. Why? What what is going on? Of course we have Calvin Ridley as a top five guy. Mike McGlinkey is a top 10 guy again. Some Harold Landry love. I like Harold Landry. I just don't necessarily think he's a top 10 player. So that's that's my basic stance on Harold Landry. I think he's a sort of solid defensive end slash pass rusher guy, but not necessarily a incredible player. Of course, we've got some Connor Williams. We've got some Luke Falk over here. Sam Hubbard, they have him as a late first-rounder. That's still too high for Sam Hubbard. Gerard Payne's hanging out in this area. We have Martinez Rankin, who's an offensive tackle for Mississippi State. Jerome Baker is a late first-rounder as well. Marcus Allen is a safety at Penn State. He apparently is a first-rounder. If Cliff uh
3: Khalil Burrow Hmm. what the purple ask you about
0: I know you mentioned Ronald Johnson was a a sleeper in your uh way of yeah. doing
1: things in my way of doing things yeah
0: Right now if he goes for you know, 1004 yards rushing on you know 214 carries and catches Thirty-three passes for another three hundred and seventy yards, and you know I don't, I don't uh, know if you care about touchdowns, but you know ends up with a total of fourteen touchdowns between you know.
1: I'll say I'll say this much about Ronald Jones: if Ronald Jones ends up with thirty percent market share, mm-hmm. then he's good. Okay, got it. So I mean that's. That's really all it is. I mean, again, right now his, his production mark was 42.18, which is basically Alvin Kamara's production. Oh, boy. <laughs> but it can improve. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, you know, obviously there are some reasons for this, you know. Um, being at USC is one of the reasons. But, like, this is the year, right? This is the year you're supposed to – I'm just saying he has more things in common with, like, a Bo Scarborough. It's not as bad. Bo Scarborough's production mark was 22.1 out of 100. So he's ahead of Bo Scarborough. It's just, you know, he's not, he doesn't have enough things on paper to suggest a Pro Bowl type running back yet. Like this, like this,
3: basically has to be a breakout year's as all. So. Right. Okay. Um, is there are there any other
0: players that they might not quite have met the thresholds? for long-term success at any any positions but are close like really close like they wouldn't need to do a whole lot a few things a little bit here and there you know in terms of market share in terms of certain things that push them over who, who are the guys who are closest amongst the misses i guess is what i'm asking huh as they're
2: close huh interesting
1: question um Like, Trenton Thompson, kind of close from Georgia. Um, Steven Richardson. I mean, based on Steven Richardson's uh, profile, he's basically like the Aaron Donald who just hasn't turned the light on yet, you know, in terms of height, weight, and speed and sort of stuff like that. Um, That's really about it. Terms of like guys that are like a couple points off of being really special players. Um, yeah, I mean, running back wise, there isn't. I mean, there there are guys like Kyle Hicks, but he doesn't quite have the sort of speed score and stuff like that to be like a really high end player, even if he was a little bit more productive. Um, but that's that's all I really would say about that class. Okay.
0: Okay, got it. So, there aren't a lot of guys who are right, almost at the mark. And right. Okay. Um,
1: I mean, if you're talking quarterbacks, right?
0: Or any position, really. But, yes, go ahead. Oh,
1: okay. Well, I mean, quarterback specifically, there's people that are about nine points off from all-pro level. Mason Rudolph, for example. Josh Rosen's like seven points from hitting all-pro level. Um you know, Jake Browning is about one point away based on his efficiency. But other positions, I mean, there's, you know, like, hmm. Yeah, there's just a couple, not that many. I mean, the big issue with a lot of these positions is that they, they have good, there's a lot of guys that have good physical tools, but they didn't produce. So it's, that's kind of, like, they're way off. Like, Sam Hubbard is, like, 50 points away. Wow. Oh, he said 50. Okay,
0: <laughs> got it. 50, yeah. So there's not a bunch of guys who are, like, 3, 4, 5, 2, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And there okay. then there are guys who are fairly productive but just don't quite have the speed score or their age score is at a level, like, you can't improve your age score. Your no, age is like not ages. Unless you want to go to the Dominican Republic. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that when it comes to that. So you know, Andrew Brown, for example, if he was to bump his solo tackle points up about 20 points, he would get into the you know, all pro or pro bowl sort of 3-4 DN sort of territory. If he was to increase his solo tackle market share stuff. Same thing with like Rasheem Green too you know, from USC. You know, guys like that, but so what what not what, a, what was his score currently? With uh, green or, or brown? Well, I guess both. Uh, well, brown was a sixty-eight point seven six out of a hundred, which the all-pro threshold is about eighty-four, 84 okay. and the Pro Bowl threshold is about seventy-six. So they're close,
2: and <laughs> and, and the and green is green, sixty-four.
1: Yeah. He's sixty-four point four, so he's close. Got it. He's hitting
3: that Pro Bowl level about 76, so if he improves that. So. Got it. Okay. So that gives us an idea of
0: what the shape of the class is. And as you said, there's not a bunch of guys who just missed. Um, so the guys who missed missed with a good amount of space between? Pretty
1: sizable, yeah. Okay. You know, 10, 12 points. But it's, but it's guys that, again, can come in the season and have a big year. You yeah. know, which could happen every year. Yeah, it happens. And, and one last one last
0: guy. I wanted to make sure I asked about. Uh, once again, going back to the quarterback class, there was a time when J T. Barrett was a guy that a lot of people, or at least some people, you know, held a hmm. lot of. Of okay, you made a sound. Uh, tell me what what essentially does history tell you, and you know, obviously productivity tell you about J T. Barrett, and what would he need to do to turn himself into a legitimate. A guy with a legitimate
1: chance of becoming at least a, a long-term <sighs> spot starter at the next level. Man, I don't know. Oh, right. because his his uh, his high school production is a zero. Wait, hold uh, on. Jim. What do you mean zero? <laughs> he didn't play quarterback at high school. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's right. Almost he forgot. was um like a wide skill position player. He was like an athlete. Right, he played some running back. He play, He threw the ball some, but it was
0: usually sort of sure. gaggedy. Yeah, okay, okay, right. I remember, right. I remember now. Okay, got it, got it.
1: But it was – like, I'm not going to add a guy who only had, like, 14 attempts, you know, of okay. the data set. So, like, he's just not – I've based on the stuff I've done, there's never – I guess this is a better way to put it. Based on the stuff I've done, there's never been a long-term starting quarterback at the NFL level who didn't at least play some quarterback in high school. At least a significant amount. Right.
0: Heinz Ward played more quarterback, is what you're telling me, than, yes. than J.T. Barrett.
1: Okay.
2: I <laughs> thought the yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it.
1: Uh, I mean, Barrett has a decent QB stat score. I mean, his QB stat score is about 84.16 out of 100, which oh. is good. But, again, it's the high school stuff matching the the complete to staff course stuff. You know, you pass the high school threshold, which is about 84, and then you pass the college stuff, which is 80 or 90, you know, depending on if you're, like, a pro bowl guy or all pro guy. And with Barrett, he doesn't pass the high school stuff at all because he's a 0 out of 100. Which is, like, Connor Cook-level stuff. (laughs)
3: He said Um, Connor
1: Cook-level stuff. He was.
0: And but Cook did play high school quarterback. I mean, he wasn't. He college.
1: did, but he was bad, really bad. Um, I mean, just go check out Connor Cook's high school. You could know, you just look at it and go, 40% completion. But at high school, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Connor Cook. Yikes is right.
2: <laughs> um, so uh,
1: so it's kind of Fair be- It's kind of better because he didn't even play Quarterback to, to, to do that So if you think about it from that perspective But um, yeah and my other thing About Ohio State is They brought in a lot of quarterbacks That Legitimately have better data Profiles like that you know Tate Martell and stuff like that And Dwayne um, Is Dwayne Hoskins still there? I think so yeah
2: He's, he's still there
1: So, like, they have other quarterbacks. So, like, J. C. Barrett might lose his job again. Wow. You know, possible. So, but as a NFL quarterback, it'd be highly unlikely is all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that my high school data only goes back to the 2007 NFL draft class. So, there is some wiggle room there. You could say, well, maybe in the 90s there was a guy who became a starter who never had any high school experience, or maybe in the 80s, but. You Know, but still, the based on the available data right now, which is like 6,000 plus people in the data, it's a pretty big 10. Um, there's had it's never happened since 2007, which is still a pretty deep, I mean, that's 10 plus years, so it's a long time, so um, but yeah, that's the only issue with JT Barrett is he, he just never played quarterback in high school significantly. And because of that, he just has a zero for his high school score, which takes him out of everything, really. Huh.
0: It really makes you wonder what the heck it was that Urban Meyer and others saw they made him you know, pretty sought after as a quarterback recruit. He's an athlete.
1: You know, I mean, uh, what was that other guy? Did the spin moves? Um, uh, Braxton Miller, right? Oh, I mean, right. Okay. He, Urban Meyer has been going after these athlete guys, these dual threat kind of guys. Um, and his most successful guy was actually the quarterback who had the highest high school score, which was Tim Tebow, um, who had like a 90-plus high school score. Oh, oh wow. So, like, so you, know, had, people,
0: he, you know, Jim, people will point to that now and say, see?
1: <laughs> yeah, but – I mean, you're always gonna have guys who hit everything and, and suck, you know. Like that's always gonna happen. Um, and I would just say that if you actually watched Tim Tebow's film, you would go, "Wow, he's throwing motion, you know." But um, I mean, I'm not saying not to watch film, guys. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying that you know, this I, I treat data as a guide, as a map. You know, you look at the, you check the map every now and again to make sure you're on the right path. You know. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say. So, because you might be on the wrong path. The path of 26 out of 100 production, and you go, wow, ooh, we got lost <laughs> over here. You know, that's kind of how you should treat data. It's kind of a match. It's a way to you know, help you kind of maneuver things, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, since Evo, yeah, but if you think of it from a college perspective, which I've been trying to sell this to college teams, nobody will listen to me, but you know, you have a guy like Tim Tebow who hit 90 percentile production, goes to college, hits 90 percentile production, you know. So he didn't obviously translate to the NFL, but no. at least it's proven that he was able to translate his high school production into high-end efficiency college you know,
2: production. So, well, let
0: me ask you, amongst the guys you've studied, were there any guys who were 90 percentile guys or above in high school who struggled – got worse or even ended up not really playing quarterback at all. Maybe I mean besides guys who just got moved to another position, but guys who just didn't end up being able to win starting jobs. Did you find any of that as well?
1: Yeah. Um uh what's that guy not Webb? Webb. Uh the old miss quarterback. Oh Jim-, Jim Sneed. No, not him. The other uh, Bo, oh, Wallace. Bo Wallace,
2: okay. Yeah,
1: he was a guy who had a very high uh, high school production score, ended up being pretty bad in college. Yes. I mean, there's a bunch of guys like that. I mean, the biggest thing about the high school production stuff is like anything else, I haven't found another variable to add to it to kind of help, like, strength the con- Strength of schedule is going to be a really hard thing to get, though, but it is something I kind of want to work on. strength the schedule at the college level is fairly easy because there's already sites that at least attempt to do that at the high school level. eh, Not so much, but um, yeah, I mean, how you would do it? Now that I think about it, exactly. How would how how would you do strict the schedule? So, like, there are variables you could add to kind of strict the schedule would probably be one example of a variable like that, but that's definitely a very hard variable to construct take lots of hours and manpower and stuff like that. Which unfortunately I'm just a one man operation. So <laughs> yes, <that's why. laughs> you know
0: kinda of Til Till to we till we finally that. get your, your internship program off the ground.
1: Exactly. So you know and again I've tried to get people to do it. Like anything else, you know, some people just aren't cut out for it. You know No, no, no always
0: no. built for this Jim. Not everybody can do what you do. You are yeah definitely a man amongst men when it comes to this. Uh, Jim, tell people where, if they aren't already aware
1: that they should be, where they can find and follow your work, sir. Sure. Uh, You can find my work at draftcomer.wordpress.com. You can also find me on Twitter at at Gymmetrics. And you can also check out the Common Man Football Show on YouTube, where I've done a lot of 2018 class stuff. I have enough I think so far I wrapped up defensive tackle uh, stuff, which is going to come out next week, and then linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, and then in FCS territory.
2: Yay.
1: So i will probably get the, less, the least amount of views. I don't know. I might get 10 views <laughs> on that. We'll see. Maybe it's really popular. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, so that that's the sort of next sort of – thing is that is uh fcs old stuff after you know fbs cornerbacks and linebackers got it well jim
0: as always it is an honor a privilege a pleasure you do incredibly high quality work if people are somehow still not following you or not aware of what you do they're not taking this whole drafting seriously on behalf of gentleman james coburn jim Metrics himself and uh bill carroll and uh, you can look for some things coming up soon for me, um, my sort of watch list, guys that I'll be watching and guys that will probably end up in my way too early. Why are we doing this so early rankings? I may even call it that. Uh, you can look for that on Nuts and Bolt Sports. I'll be doing something for Pro Player Insiders very, very soon regarding the upcoming season and uh, probably some other people that I'll start writing for soon as well.
3: I thank you once again for your time, your talent, and your attention. We'll do this again in one week.